Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we are doing this on Zoom again tonight. We'll put some of the clips up on YouTube. Um, and I'm, I'm keen to do that because nobody told me it was cosplay tonight. We've got Steve dressed as... Pentagon. Pentagon. From AEW. Oh, yeah. Is that from last week? The same one. Yeah, same one. Yeah, okay. And Zach is dressed as a kind of a cross between Gandalf and Dumbledore. <laughs> what are you wearing, Scottish kit? I am wearing my 1994 uh, East Fife top that when I put on and I said to my wife, what do you think of this? She made a face. And then I said, what year do you think this is from? And she said the 70s. It's kind of a nice pinstripe for those listening to the the podcast. And long-sleeved as well, a rarity these oh, days nice. in football tops. Perfect for July. Yeah. It also has the smallest neck. Trying to get your head through this is, like, really, really difficult. It's like giving birth? I, I imagine it's worse than giving birth. But we're not here to, to talk about such things. We're here to to delve into what has been a crazy time in the world of Major League Soccer. Last week, I decided to take a week off, recharge my batteries, because I thought it's going to be busy. MLS tournament is going to be getting underway. The, the next show that we're going to do, which is this one, was we're going to be looking forward to the Whitecaps against FC Dallas on Thursday. Can I preview that, preview the tournament? I thought, yeah, we're sick of talking about all the COVID stuff. Football's back. Let's take a week off so we're not talking about the same stuff. Oh, and then we've had an interesting two weeks. Football coming back in the time of COVID. It was always going to be challenging. We knew that players would test positive. We knew there would be ups and downs. But ultimately, we knew that the the league would put on a good show, put on some good performances, put on some great football, and that ultimately everyone would say that it was worth it and it was a massive success. But enough about the Bundesliga. We're here to talk about MLS. (laughs) We want to dedicate this episode primarily to the MLS is back tournament to give it its official name or the COVID cup 
as it has now been known to, to everyone else. And it's been a, a long two weeks. They, they say that a week is a long time in politics. Apparently a fortnight is an eternity in Major League Soccer. And we're going to take a deep delve into the COVID Cup this episode. As deep as those swabs go into people when they check them out, right? Oh, I those videos. Like You see some of those videos and it doesn't seem to go up much. And then there's other ones that it seems to be going through the, the back of people's heads. So I don't know what the MLS players are getting down there, but I hope it's the former because... They're getting tested a lot every couple of days. So you updated the uh, logo for MLS. Yeah, Steve's been working hard with his graphics, and it's a fantastic logo that he's got. We'll tweet that out. Very, very appropriate for for those of you that maybe don't see it, but we'll just explain it. It's basically the MLS twenty five logo uh, morphed with the the coronavirus, because I think that's what this tournament is all about. And right off the bat, let's explain that. We're going to be recording this podcast over two days. So the bulk of this with Steve, Zach and myself on it are getting recorded on Sunday night. And the danger of doing this is by the time that this podcast comes out on Monday night, so much of what we have discussed could be out of date because this is such a fluid situation. Things are changing constantly. But I've delayed it because there's going to be a conference call, apparently, on Monday with some senior MLS players. MLS was putting that on. If it does go ahead to call, I think the players are going to be selected not to say something or told that they can't say anything. And then the coaches are speaking on Tuesday. But in part four of this episode, I'm going to include some of the audio from that call. But for now, at the time of this recording on Sunday night, I just want to summarise what has been an insane few days. So as far as I can understand, 19 of the 24 travelling teams have already arrived in Orlando, along with the two Floridian teams, Orlando City and Miami. LAFC, LA Galaxy, Vancouver and TFC are set to leave on Monday. Colorado might be Tuesday, although that's currently unconfirmed. The the two Canadian teams, they have cancelled several charter flights so far. The best one amongst all that was TFC, who were meant to be flying out on Saturday afternoon. And they have been very vocal about their concerns about the tournament. Greg Vanny has also been really outspoken in this. It's been fantastic to see. But they cancelled their flight halfway flying from Orlando to Toronto and then had to turn around and land in Atlanta. Now, the Caps were set to leave on Wednesday. Then it was Thursday. Then it was Saturday. And now, as we record this, they're leaving on Monday afternoon at 1.30. And that was due to two positive tests, then negative tests. We'll come to that in a sec. But just what's your thoughts on all of this so far, guys? I think you're bearing the headline. Isn't the headline, Caps actually use charter flight? Well, they have to. They've know, got I no know. choice in this. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, no, this is, it, I mean, it's crazy. Like, this is... Uh, I mean, the MLS allowed it to get to this, right, By the, from the outset of not saying, hey, if this number of cases happen, this is what's going to happen. Uh, or this is what, this is what will – these are the dominoes that have to fall in, in order for the tournament to be postponed or canceled or moved or whatever. And they're not going to move it because apparently they've invested, like, I don't know, something like – if they don't do this, they lose like $100 million or something. Yeah. Is what I've heard. Uh, that, they that's also, like a third of an expansion team. 
Yeah. Um, and like one-tenth of their billion, they're going to lose for the whole year. My understanding, too, is that uh, the only thing I've heard was that in terms of like what, what could happen in terms of number of cases, the only thing, and I can't remember if we discussed it last a couple weeks ago or not, but or you discussed it even before that, Michael, but is that I have heard that the one thing that Garber has sort of said is they would stop or postpone the tournament if the number of their cases were to put an undue stress or an overwhelming burden on the local health facilities. Mm, yeah. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know the, where things are at fully uh, in, in where they're at well, in Florida, but. The only thing is, is there is, is uh, it's really, if it was older people getting sick or uh, these athletes are not expected if they get sick to be a burden on, on the health, uh, healthcare network there. So I don't think that's the case. Now, I, I, I understand that you're saying that um, they didn't discuss what, what they would do, but I, I think it's really a fluid situation. Like you said earlier, it's a fluid situation. It's impossible for them to put numbers on. They had no idea probably what was going to happen. And they had no, no idea that back in uh, early June, I think is when they started the whole the idea that they went the dates and everything, that the U.S. was going to get this bad so quickly and uh point, signs are pointing to it but i you know 20 days or something has been a new record of how many people have been reported new cases of covid it's like a record every day so it's con yeah. constantly doubling and everything so so i i don't think it's I, I i honestly don't think they i don't blame them for this what's going on but it's it's and they probably do have contingency plans but they're probably just not going to announce it because why are you going to announce something negative when it hasn't even happened yet so now if they do have it, they probably would bring it up. One of the counter criticisms that those Steve is that they locked themselves into Orlando so early when they didn't have to, when they like that they announced Orlando so early before they waited to see what happened from the initial kind of reopening of the United States kind of thing. Oh yeah, that's for sure. But the thing is Orlando, I think Florida was one of the first states to say we're open up, uh, you know, for sports yep. and everything. And the thing is, they do have the idea of the bubble, which uh, uh, Dr. Fauci or whatever, the U.S. head doctor, he yeah. says that would work if you have a bubble. But people coming in from outside the bubble are, are going to get COVID. It's, it's inevitable yeah. that people are going to get tested positive for it while they're traveling. It's almost impossible for not everybody follows the rules. So you can't expect it to be the case. I think Bundesliga, somebody was mentioning that Bundesliga had so many number of cases. Um, I, Premier League, I don't, I don't recall them what was mentioned about that, whether how many cases they had going into the restart or not. Do you guys the remember? Germany, or well, had yeah. a few, but then they made either those those case, those individuals or and I think in one case I think it was Dresden, right, Michael? Where Dresden had to sit out for a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, um, but but I think they they're still supposed to make up those games or did make up those games in the end, um, but. Yeah, but the, the difference there is the number of cases in the in the country are a lot less minuscule. Yeah, like yeah, because, because of what they did from the onset of you know the virus right. coming to Europe and stuff. The amount of positive tests has been surprising in a way. In the grand scheme of things, though, it's obviously it is a small number, and we'll we'll kind of come to that in a bit. Now, Vancouver's delay from flying out was said to be because they'd had two positive tests, then they tested negative. So this has happened a lot. It's been a lot of false positives. Toronto's had this, 
Colorado's got it right now as well. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'd heard that Vancouver had had a couple of positive tests, my mind was like, oh, I wonder which players might have been at Brandy's strip club since that was where the outbreak was. But I'm sure that was not the case, just, just to stress that. There was an outbreak at a strip club in Vancouver? Yeah, did you not hear about that? No. Oh, Brandy Strip Club. There was a, a, I think it was over 20 people were then infected. If, if you'd been in the strip club from the Thursday to the Sunday, you were at potential risk. Oh, wow. I mean, if strip clubs aren't a, a safe, clean place to go to these days, I don't know what, what the future holds. In store. <laughs> it's a normal day, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure that was not why. There's also been unfounded speculation that the Canadian teams are waiting to the very, very last minute to travel, as in Toronto and Vancouver, because Montreal's already there, because they're waiting to see if the tournament gets cancelled so that they don't have to be down there and then come back, because then they'd have to go into 14 days quarantine. I'm pretty sure that's not why they aren't going down, but we'll talk about players' kind of physical and mental health in, in the next part. But how unsettling must this be? Especially like if we just look at the Vancouver situation for these players, it's like they've told their family, especially those with kids. Okay, uh, Daddy's going to Disneyland without you. Uh, I'm leaving on Wednesday, and then the kids are like, "Oh, okay." And then Wednesday night, Daddy's still there, and it's like, "It's okay, I'm going tomorrow." And then the next night, he's still there, and then so I'm going at the weekend, but no, he's still there. And then they must be like, "Please go." <laughs> <laughs> But, like, to be serious, I mean, this is really unsettling for the players because they don't know when they're going. You've got to kind of get in a mindset for travel at the best of times, I, I feel, sometimes. And to to have all this and everything that's... They don't know what they're going into. They're just hearing all this stuff. I'm pretty sure the stuff we're not hearing, that the players are hearing amongst themselves, it, it must be really tough for them. Yeah, especially the unknown. Uh, uh, I'm sure they've been told quite a bit of what to expect, but even then, you just don't know what to expect because once you go there, things change really quickly. So it is difficult, and I wouldn't want to be put in that situation. I probably, if I was in their position, I would have opted out of the tournament myself. Um, I don't recall. Like I know other leagues have that opt out. Does MLS have that opt out? I'm assuming they no, would too, right? If somebody they, was comfortable, they've they've got it. If you have a medical thing so you can get signed off that you've got a medical issue for not going. If you just don't want to go, then you've not got that option. They they can leave for a family emergency. So if there's a death or something, they can leave. But then someone then going back to Canada for a death has to quarantine for two weeks. People whose wives are pregnant, they're not able to to go back for, for stuff like that. So they're not allowed to just opt out. And initially... They had said if a player decides not to go, they would be punished. So I'm guessing they'd have their wages suspended or withheld or something like that. The opting out would mean that you get your salary. That's what I mean by opting out. Now, as I said, the number of positive tests is still relatively small in terms of everyone that's involved in the whole tournament. But it's concerning on a number of levels. And there's the false negatives, that the positive test once people are arriving there, and then there's been positive tests within the bubble but you can be fairly sure that they got that before they went into the bubble and the incubation period is just that hasn't shown up obviously not a guarantee of that but we we keep getting told that once inside the bubble everything is really good now i had a a chat sam stachel from the athletic and there's an epidemiologist we're having a chat which i jumped in on 
and they were kind of talking about the false positives and everything like that. And they think a lot of it could be coming from the fact that they're using different labs. So they're using labs in their local market. So in Vancouver, for example, we're using a, a certain lab to do the tests. Well, once they land there, it goes to a local lab and they're getting different results. Which for me, if I test positive, then you do one that's negative, then you need to do another one, which you would then hope is negative. But then what if that's positive and then the next one's negative and you're going back and forward like that? Like, aside from MLS, I find that just concerning in general that you can't really rely maybe on the tests. And I know it's maybe a small fraction, but th that is just a general concern, I think. Yeah. You, you'd think that a, uh, a positive test followed by a negative test would be need to follow up with a confirmation, especially if, it, if you're saying it's, hey, in this lab it's positive, in this lab it's negative, you think the second lab would need to have another test to verify that mm. for something like what they're trying to do with this tournament. Yeah, just don't take it for granted that it's all okay. I think some teams are having to get two consecutive negative tests. I think I'd read that, that that's what happened with Colorado. That makes sense. Now, the big talking point, obviously, in the last couple of days, Vancouver's scheduled first opponents were FC Dallas. And they are the, the worst affected of all. I, I think it's nine or ten players now and one coach. It's been really hard to kind of keep track because it seems to be going up and increasing every single day. You also then have to factor in they've got three players out on loan to other teams that they can't use in this tournament. Their first choice goalkeeper is under domestic abuse allegations. And I think I'd read that they were down to 16 available players. And many of those are likely to be the young homegrown guys because they, they sign a lot of that. So we'll, we'll come to Dallas in a sec. I want to look at some of the other teams that have tested positive because on Sunday, reports are suggesting that five Nashville players have now tested positive. They're being isolated and quarantined. One tested positive once arriving in the bubble and then four more have tested positive inside the bubble. They haven't trained since Tuesday but they're set to play their first game this Wednesday. So, I mean, surely that's not going to be happening. That's going to be delayed for sure. There's no way that, that goes through. And, and the thing is, is about the test positive, we don't even know, could they be contaminated tests mm. or something like that too? Um, so it all depends on what's going on there. Steve, make sure that that thing doesn't cough on you. <laughs> oh, the ball? Yeah. Again, for podcast listeners, our visual graphic behind Steve just now is the FC Dallas logo with the, the bull wearing a mask. He's sensible. He's one of the sensible Texans that's wearing masks. Of course, it's now mandated throughout Texas that you have to wear masks. A little bit late for, for FC Dallas, but it's, it's good that they're getting there. Colorado Rapids, as I mentioned, their flight was cancelled after having two positive tests and they're tentatively now scheduled to fly out on Tuesday. Minnesota, Montreal and Columbus have also had positive tests once they've arrived in the bubble. I think that's all the teams. I might have missed some. It's hard to, to really know. But a friendly on Sunday between Minnesota and Columbus was scrapped out of, quote, an abundance of caution since both teams had had players that had tested positive. Now, from the get-go... MLS, as Steve mentioned, made it clear that there was no magic number of positive tests that would have the tournament cancelled. Right now, it feels that they're hoping that they can maybe get all the teams in the bubble, things will calm down a little bit, 
and that the games will, will be played. And that probably will be the case. But the build-up to it has been an absolute PR nightmare for the league. It's it's an embarrassment. Garber, who was really quick to jump on some conference calls to, to talk about locking out the players and then coming to the deal and then launching the tournament itself, deathly silence from the bigwigs at MLS just now. They're not commenting on calls about this just now. I can't see this tournament getting cancelled at all right now. What do you think it would take for it to to get cancelled? Steve had mentioned maybe swamping the already overrun health system, but as he mentioned, a lot of the young guys, they're asymptomatic, so they're maybe not showing up those symptoms. But you do not want to be the league that puts one of your players at risk that maybe has an underlying health condition that he may or may not even know about, and then something happens to him. I mean, and, and there's a couple of players that with diabetes too, I think, or something. Yeah, Andy Jordan Rose Morris, and Andy Rose. That, yeah. That's like two of the guys that have that. So I mean, that that's a worry. I mean, you you hear a lot about footballers that's got heart conditions and they don't know about it until something happens to them. Because the the other thing with all of this, like people always talk, oh, they're young guys, they're not going to be badly affected. But for me, it's the long term damage that this can do to people's lungs, and that that's just not talked about. No. And I, the thing is, is um, I think that the at this point it only gets cancelled if there are multiple teams that are completely like taking down basically once this uh, tournament starts or something like that, or or the U.S. completely gets into like uh, oh it's, it's a pandemic now, but I'm talking about like a super pandemic or something yeah. like that, where it becomes like where it, they have to shut down everything or whatever, uh, no exceptions at all. That's the only thing I can think of that where they would. Uh, like basically the way uh, Canada uh, uh, reacted right away where they shut down everything initially. Uh, America obviously didn't do that. So if they have to do that, then I think it definitely will get uh, cancelled. The thing is about the testing too, but it seems like that all these positive tests are coming a week before this tournament's supposed to start or maybe a week, 10 days or something like that. Yeah, it's the the incubation period that's been the the crippler for them in in all of this because it's, it's taking... A while to show up and they've all traveled after testing negative and then it's showing up which just in general terms not even mls terms it is obviously just, just a concern because you, you could be with somebody that doesn't think that they've got anything and then something comes up it's you talk about you know uh this could get shut down if like the the rest of the the state or the country gets shut down the sad thing is or what appears to be a bit of a sad thing for many people who continue to contract the virus is that that's not happening anytime soon in the United States as a whole and unlikely in the state of Florida, I would say as well, that they would be, they would, they would you know, reverse what they've done and shut things down to try and once again, uh, get things under control and to make sure that their, their healthcare systems don't get, don't get swamped. The crazy, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to look at this. Uh, one of the ways that I, I heard recently was that, you know, the, the state of Florida is now worse than uh, I think it's number of cases per, you know, for, for the population. It's worse than Italy was when everyone was, you know, going crazy about Italy in, in early on in March or April or whatever. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it feels a bit, feels a bit weird that this is all, this is all moving ahead. Uh, MLS want, wanted to be the first uh, major male sports league to, to get back to playing. So it looks like they're going to live that out, but, I, I don't know 
I don't know. I don't think they'd look good right now in PR wise. And I don't know if by the end of this, they'll look good PR wise, mm -hmm. but they're playing a really risky game, especially with coming off the back of, you know, for Garber himself, like saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm the catalyst for, for threatening a lockout. You know, if, if something goes bad with this, like I, his reputation with the players, like seems to be pretty, you know, pretty untenable uh, going forward if there's more problems with this. And so there's a, I think a lot of people risking a lot because these, these owners have a lot of money on the line and they don't want to lose it. They'd rather, mm -hmm. they'd rather risk it. It feels like they'd rather risk not losing more money than cutting their losses for a year and hoping that they can keep people safe. The, the other thing as well, like you mentioned about being the first male sports league back, obviously the, the women's NWSL has come back and it seems to have come back, aside from the whole Orlando Pride crazy situation with the whole team had to pull out, that aside, it seems to have gone off without a hitch testing-wise and stuff. So how has that been a success and MLS have completely balls this up by the looks of it? Well, a couple of things about that, Michael. One is you're talking about a way smaller league. You know, it's almost like akin to the, the Canadian Team. Premier League. Just right? eight so teams, should... so yeah. Yeah, and they're also doing a word, like in Salt Lake, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not... But Salt, Lake's, but Salt Lake's got a... Their, their uh, stats are going a little higher, too. They're running higher and higher as it's going on. So it is getting higher. But I think oh, the other thing is, is with uh, the Women's League is that they started earlier even. Um, so they haven't really hit that. They, they, they were able to get into the bubble before it really started getting big in the state. So it's, it's, they kind of might've avoided the whole situation there as well. Yeah. But that's it for this part. We'll be back having a look at this big talking point from this week. The, the Whitecaps first game of the tournament has been postponed. We'll be back to talk about that and a few other things after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Blind date with the Chancellor, we had oysters and dry lancers, and the check when it arrived, we went touch, 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 touch. A redder shade of neck on a wider shade of trash, and this emery board is giving me a rash. I'm Shady Lane, from our Artist of the Month for June, Pavement. Taken from their Bright in the Corners album, their fourth studio album that was released in 1997. And yes, I did say our Artist of the Month for June. Because we took a break on last week's show and, and, and didn't bring a show out last week, I never got to wrap up my, my Pavement songs. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to put aside... Three of a kind for this week. It's going to be back next week. And instead, kicking off parts two and three 
We're going to have two final songs from Pavement, our Artist of the Month for June. And kicking off parts four and five, we're going to have two songs for our new Artist of the Month for July, who I won't tell you who they are just yet. You'll find that out in part four. Back to the football chat now, though, and back to the COVID Cup. Obviously, not literally, because nobody wants to head down to that petri dish. So as we said at the start, this episode was meant to be setting up the tournament, looking ahead to the Caps, getting back on the pitch against Dallas on Thursday. I'd lined up a, a chat with a, a Dallas journalist to, to kind of find out how the team was looking and, and everything like that. And I was genuinely looking forward to seeing the team back on the pitch. But best laid plans and all that. Instead, word came through on Saturday, yes, only yesterday, and when I looked up to see exactly when the Whitecaps Dallas game had been called off, in all honesty, when I saw it was Saturday, I was like stunned because it already feels so long ago with everything that's been happening. But the Caps game has been postponed to be rescheduled to a later date. I'm hoping for 2021, but I think that's probably uh, unlikely. They have to now kind of fit this in at some point at the end of the group games. But before the, the playoff aspect of it all kind of starts. Now, the initial MLS press release that came out basically stated that the postponement was happening. And then the only thing they mentioned in it that would suggest why was that Vancouver had two positive tests and had delayed their travel. There was no mention at all in that initial press release that Dallas had had all those positive tests. So anyone that was unaware would read that and think, huh, typical Canadians messing it up for everyone. No, but I think I think they would. Maybe if Vancouver was able to travel, they would have forced FC Dallas to play their game, even if they didn't have enough players. Maybe. Or, but if they had enough for a starting eleven, they would have made them go on the pitch. I mean that that's that would be ridiculous. I know it's a big benefit to us. We could get three points. Blah blah blah. But like for the integrity of the game, which is the big buzzword that's been used by leagues all around Europe when they're deciding what to do with the whole coronavirus. You make a team play after forcing them to go to a tournament and then them having their players positive and not being able to play, you've, you lose all integrity whatsoever. So the, the league right away, as soon as they knew that these players had tested positive and had to be in a 10 to 14 day quarantine, that, that game should have been called off way before, before then. But I mean, my, my question to you is, should Dallas have pulled out instead of this game having to be rearranged? I don't think Dallas, FC Dallas himself, could say, yeah, we got too many cases, we're out. It would have to be MLS saying, you have too many cases, you're out, right? Like, I don't think I don't think teams really have the option, is how it feels. And obviously, with the communication that you just described for us, you, you can't trust anything that you hear from MLS or or, or many of the front offices. Uh, so, yeah, I should they? Yeah, probably. I think they've reached a critical mass of their squad, right, uh, that – they can they put they can put out a match day sixteen, which is not which is not you know enough, in one sense. Uh, that I think it's they've reached the point where they probably should be should be excused or removed. The one thing I know for sure I have I can almost guarantee is that you know how they were talking about by after the tournament they'd have games in the stadiums and everything like that in their own home stadiums. I don't think that's happening. Mm. I think that's done at yeah. this point. And like MDS kind of the whole way along, he seems to have been a little bit skeptical uh, 
about stuff like that happening. The, the Dallas head coach, Lucci Gonzalez, he actually has his own podcast and he's done some interviews with radio in Dallas and stuff. He's been very open about this and was basically talking about, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if we're going to go ahead in the tournament. So it was obviously something that was playing on their minds. Yes, we have some breaking news. Although by the time you're hearing this, I'm sure you all know the news already. But as I mentioned, I was expecting the situation to be quite fluid. There was a risk that a lot of what we had talked about on the podcast was going to be out of date by the time that we got this edited and out. And that has proved to be the case in dramatic fashion, as on Monday afternoon it was announced that FC Dallas have pulled out of the MLS's back tournament. After 10 of their players and one of their technical staff team had tested positive, the decision has been made by Dallas to withdraw from the competition. At the time of recording this breaking extra part of the show, we don't know what that means for the Whitecaps group. We don't know if it means a, a team is going to get moved in from Group A. The, the automatic thing would have been to move Nashville in it, so you're not really affecting the East-West dynamic too much. But of course, Nashville now have potentially five players that are testing positive for it as well, so that could all be up in the air. Yep, it's fun, fun times for MLS. Very embarrassing, very unsettling for the Whitecaps and the rest of Group B. They don't know what the plans are just now. Things are going to be changing this week, so just keep your eye on Twitter and all the news outlets to see what the latest is going to be. The rearranged game, I mean, you were talking there, Steve, about they've got scope to fit it in. They do, but the, the problem is the open slots that they've got are morning games, so it's like 9am slots, and no one wants that in general, but we'll come to why in, in a sec, but you've also then got Dallas and Vancouver cramming games in in a shorter period of times before they're maybe going into the, the knockout stage, but I'm going to play some audio from Mark DeSantis and then we'll talk a little bit about it. But one of the questions I'd asked him was about the fact that the games that the Whitecaps originally had, they were all 10.30pm at night. That was like 7.30pm Pacific time. Everything that the Whitecaps have done, routine-wise, from sleeping patterns to how they're going to eat, when they're going to have breakfast, lunch and dinner, when they're going to be doing their training, everything was geared to all three games being late evening kickoffs to get the player's body clock used to that. Now all of a sudden, you're throwing that out the window and you're possibly having them having to play a game at 9am. So I mean, that's far from ideal and it's it's ridiculous really and it's unfair to the Whitecaps. They're being penalised because another team had a, a bulk of players that couldn't play. And I know you'll say, well... They had two positive tests, and that could be why as well. But ultimately, it just it seems ridiculous. For sure, and I think uh, eventually. Uh, but the thing is, the other thing you got to think of is that both teams have to go through that. So while in the game itself, it might not make a difference. You're right; it could make a difference if they if one of these two teams advance into the next round, where it would affect them there. So that's hundred percent sure it would affect it. So, Marta Santis gave a, a conference call to, to local media just before the Whitecaps thought that they were going to be setting off. So, obviously, that did not quite go according to plan. But I want to bring you a little bit of that now, just with him chatting about 
the the schedule with it being out and just some of the other adversities non-COVID related that might be facing the, the team down there. So let's hear a little bit from what MDS had to say. Mark, I just wanted to, to ask you for your thoughts about you've got the three matches in the group kicking off in the later time slot. It seems the, the most appealing time slot. I, I know I was there in the 2012 tournament when the Whitecaps were there. And at night time, it was such a nice playing atmosphere and temperature. Are you happy that you've got those three late kickoff times? Uh, look, when it comes to the temperature, uh, I, I think the Disney tournament when the Whitecaps were here were preseason, right? In Orlando. Yeah. You're talking maybe February, March? Yeah. 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 It's different. My my brother Philly coached uh, with Fort Lauderdale Strikers in our, in uh, in Florida. He he knows very well what's happening in July August. It's a totally different temperature, even in at at ten thirty at night. It's very humid, very hot still. Uh, chances of a thunderstorm all the time and heavy rain. It's just the reality of Florida in those months. The 10.30 kickoff for me, the exciting part is for our fans, uh, for the people that follow and the fans. Uh, for you guys, you're watching a game at 7.30. That makes a lot of sense for us. Uh, what we're going to have to do very well, though, is prepare the players to live a different type of life when it comes to sleeping until later, having a later breakfast, a later lunch, a later dinner, a later pre-game match uh, meal. Uh, their life changes when you play at 10.30 and most of our training sessions are also going to be at night. So that's going to be a kind of change for all of us in a, in a need of adaptation in a different way. But again, I think all this tournament is going to be about adaptation, about mindset, about being ready to go to a place that might be very uncomfortable and where the, the, the minds of the player and the ability to adapt to different things are going to be very important if you want to succeed. Just a quick follow-up then, just about the potential of disruption for things like thunderstorms. Are there procedures in place if, say, the 10.30 game wasn't able to go ahead because of a thunderstorm? Do you still have to play that night or does it carry into the next morning? Or right, right now, I didn't get enough information on that. I'm sorry I can't answer you that question. But what I could tell you is that there's going to be a lot of thunderstorm and rain. A lot. And these are just, it's a reality of the months in, in Florida in July, August. So I, I hope there's a plan in place. I hope we're not playing at 2 a.m. and me, I have a glass of scotch in my hand during the game. You, you, I'm sure that the things in the, in the preparation, they need to be, to be in place to deal with situations like that. Mark, listening to everything that you've said, and, and uh, I know that you're always up for a challenge and very well prepared. Everything that's on the table uh, with the pandemic, with the schedule, with the schedules for eating, practicing, all the rest, would you admit that this is your greatest coaching challenge that you've ever faced in your career, and maybe for all the coaches down there? Yeah, not only for me. I think it's for everyone. Every coach that I speak with, 
they they have the same concerns and they have the same challenges but this is going to be a tournament for people that are willing to pay a price the teams and the coaches that are going to go there crying about the food is late crying that this the training was changed because of the rain crying because this didn't work out well and the rooms this those are the teams that have more chances to fail the team that see every tough moment as a growth and become stronger with it it's the teams that have a better chance that's why right here i preach a lot about our mindset are you willing to pay a price if you're going to go there and cry you better you better stay home and that's my message i, I want to make sure that the guys that go in the plane and go to orlando or the guys that are re- ready to pay a price to suffer in moments that you're going to have to suffer to deal with the heat to deal with the changes to deal with things like that and that's what i could control as a coach and the rest is is out of my control just wanted to kind of ask about a lot of the english games that i've been watching since it returned there seems to be every game someone seems to go off injured in it yeah. How are, how are the club preparing for that? I know it's hard to prepare for injuries at the best of it, but a lot of it does seem to be that the players are a little bit rusty from not being playing regularly. Is that a concern of you, especially with the heat down there, cramping so, and stuff like that? That's a very important point. And that's, I would say, one of the biggest concerns from coaches because the players don't have a preseason. The players don't have a real preparation with exhibition games and everything so are the players gonna arrive at the tournament at 100% of their capability no no that's for sure no and that's why again the mindset is important but uh, I feel that I, I can judge the others what they've been doing but I feel since we've stopped uh, after the Galaxy game and on a Thursday two days before playing Colorado, the way our performance team and everybody and the commitment of the player to do what is right have put us in a position that when I'm in training here with the players, I feel that their levels of fitness in general, so I'm talking 90% of the roster, is very high, very high. Then the guys that are not at their 90-minute game well, maybe they have 60, and that's why there's five substitution, and we could deal with that. But is it a concern for me as a coach? Of course, because the preparation is different. And when the preparation is different and the amount of exhibition games is not there, you have a bigger risk of injury, and this is why it's happening in, uh, in the Premier League. He's a gaffer. So MDS there, just giving a few thoughts about the tournament. Obviously recorded about a week to a week and a half before all this stuff had happened. Just just, just to clarify a little bit from the, the last question there as well, where we were talking about the fact about the weather and that there could be thunderstorms in the area, which is expected that the weather is going to be bad at points. 
in the summer, Florida is known for having thunderstorms. So the question I had was, if you're playing at 10.30 at night and you've got a thunderstorm delay, what then happens to to that? And what we, what I was told, because Mark didn't know the answer there, he thought it was a, a good point. It's something that he was wondering. He didn't want the team to be playing, as he said, at 2.30 in the morning with him on the, the sidelines holding a, a glass of scotch, although that would be entertaining for TV. But the, the word that I've had back is MLS do have a contingency plan. If games are delayed because of thunderstorms, then other matches can start round about them because there's four pitches altogether. Now, that's still all well and good, but if you've got a 10.30 game, you're then going to have to be somehow playing that at another time the next day. So again, we could be going into the, the 9 a.m. start times and players' body clocks getting messed up. And that, that brings me on to the, the physicality that, that the players are going to be facing in this tournament. Because you're expecting guys to be playing a lot of games in a short number of days. A lot of these teams, they're woefully unprepared. They're going to be playing in heat and humid, energy-sapping conditions. They might find themselves not able to play a game they were expecting at night and then having to play the following morning. The risk of injuries, I feel, is going to be high. And we've seen this a lot in the English games that's been back so far. In so many of the games, players have been going down to like hamstring injuries or other little injuries. So from the physical side of it, not even looking at COVID, but the physical side of it, this is really going to push these players to the limit. Yeah. Um, even just when you talk about the, the starting times that they are using, like I know Vancouver was initially lucky, uh, lucky to get them all at the same time. But the other teams in their group were not. I know, I think it was, um, was it Seattle, San Jose, I think. Seattle's got have, a morning one, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have a morning one. So it was like one of the advantages that Vancouver had before this hiccup, we'll call it, with Dallas, uh, was that, you know, they were going to get advantage by being able to keep that same rhythm that you're talking about. Whereas, yeah, other teams in their group were going to have to, you know, have an altered rhythm. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, if things get pushed back and if this makeup game does get slotted in at 9 a.m., then, yeah, that, that will be not as good for the players, not as good for, uh, you know, the, probably the quality of pitch. And it, the only thing is it'll, it'll be the same for both teams, if, uh, I mean, depending on what their other games are. I mean, uh, it, it could be the same for both teams if, they, if they're having to do that early 9 a.m. game. I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think there are going to be – because these guys haven't trained properly. Like you said, they haven't kicked the ball around for uh, very much. Uh, but then that's the one thing that we always talk about, game shape. Uh, how are they – match fitness. Uh, how are they going to be in that, when the game actually starts? Now, I would have hoped that they would have gone in with a plan where if they found that the players weren't that fit, that they, they would increase the substitutions. Or maybe even doing something off the bat where they have the rolling subs like college soccer does in the U.S. Well, they're allowed to five um, so subs. They have to five, but I'm saying even rolling subs where somebody could come off, get stretched out, they put somebody on, and they can maybe do that a couple times where they have a, a, a limitation. That I'm just I'm just putting it out because this people say, oh, it'll it's the integrity of the game. Listen, these are different times. You have to like be flexible with this kind of stuff. This is not a normal tournament. Where people, uh, where you, you know, all these, all these uh, uh, sporting uh, tournaments and whatever you're gonna have, they're all gonna have asterisks on them. 
So why not, if they're going to have asterisks on them, why not just try stupid things where it at least protects the players from injury where they're not forcing themselves to go on a bad hamstring if you yeah. if you use all your five-year subs or something like that. The rolling subs thing, though, I don't think is, uh, is helpful necessarily from injury standpoint as well. Like I've talked to pros, especially when they're – especially those who are older, which MLS has a few of those, you know, uh, that it's not, it's not great to get all warmed up, get ready, go and play, and then stop for – 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then go back out. It's not you, – you're, you're – it's not What I'm saying is is for people that they might have had like a pulled hamstring, they need to get stretched out, but they don't want to come off the pitch. So yeah. it, it gives them an opportunity to come off the pitch, get, you know, stretched out, and then go back on that way. I, I'm not saying like for rest – I'm not saying for rest – I'm saying for minor injuries or something like that, they could get a role. I, I think the five subs are – that's what partly they're there for. I mean, the, the thing is, you know what players are like. Players are going to want to stay on the pitch and play through stuff that when they shouldn't be. But yeah, bubble football was something I was going to suggest. Steve's got a great picture up there. We saw it at Thunderbird for the WFC 2 games. Wheel it out, get all the players in those little inflatable bubbles. I'd watch that. I'd be more entertaining. And I think you get kids like under like eight or nine really interested in people bouncing around off each other. Yeah. That's their kind of uh, entertainment there. Ideal. I mean, I think this could be the future of soccer in this country. Now, I mean, t- we've talked physically that like these guys, they haven't kicked a ball in anger in, in four months. I, I do think it's ridiculous to suddenly throw them into, into a tournament. But the other side of it is the mental side of it. And we touched a little bit on it in the first part with the uncertainty of when teams are leaving and everything like that. But, I mean, what must this be doing to them in the whole mentally once you're in the bubble? You've got players that must be living in fear to an extent of there being a, an outbreak in the bubble, wondering, oh, can I can I touch this games machine or, or whatever? Who's touched it? Is there going to be something like that? You've already got the whole being away from your family for up to six weeks and it's like a prison-like atmosphere at, at times. And we'll talk a bit more about that in, in the next part. But folk have said, oh, it's just like being away at a World Cup. But it's not, because when you're at a World Cup, you can get out and about and you've got a life. On this, the players, they're all confined to their own individual floors. You're not meant to, to mix with other players and other teams and I read, I can't remember who it was with, one of the head coaches has said he hasn't talked to another head coach in person since he got there. He's seen a couple from a distance and he's kind of waved and yelled across, how are you doing? But they've not been able to interact or anything. So a lot of people suffer from mental health just in general. But if you're shut away and isolated and you haven't got that contact, I I, I just, I worry for, for some of these players and I'm sure the psychologists on site and I mean you know what guys are like we don't often flag up things that's wrong with us right away so I mean for me that that's a big concern is the mental health side of it for sure um, it, 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 but I think uh, it's it would I think it would have been more difficult if they like they don't have the video access they could still talk to family members over video phone and stuff like that so I think that makes it a little bit better but I mean, I, I I'm all prepared for the for the tournament. It is getting underway on Wednesday with the the COVID Classico. I think is the the name that they're giving the Orlando Inter game that that's kicking this tournament off. But I'm prepared because MLS were really generous this week. They they sent me some MLS 
and we'll, we'll put this bit up uh, on YouTube. They sent me MLS 25, 75% alcohol wet wipes. That's good. That's if you get too excited during the games and you need to obviously get your wet wipes out. Um, some lovely branded MLS hand sanitizer. And it comes with a little strap you can attach it to your belt. And best of all, a white caps face mask. Which, just, just to read this little bit from the bottom. Uh, the face covering is not intended to prevent or protect from any form of illness or disease, in brackets, or otherwise. Very generous. I was delighted to get that. <laughs> well, I'm Scottish. Any free stuff, I'm quite delighted to, to get, really. So, yep, I'll be all masked and lubed up. No, that's not the right word. I'll be all masked and sanitised up, ready to go on Wednesday. But we are going to be talking some more COVID Cup after the break as we look at some of the, the food and entertainment highlights that await the players in the bubble. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Final song there from our Artist of the Month for June, American band Pavement. That was Texas Never Whispers. The opening song from their 1992 Watery Domestic EP. We kicked off Pavement's residency as our Artist of the Month with a, a song from that EP. So I thought it would be nice to kind of wrap it up with a song from that as well. Still one of my favourite things that they've ever brought out. All four songs in that EP are absolutely fantastic. Hope you've enjoyed them. We're going to be kicking off part four with our new Artist of the Month though for July. Who is that going to be? Where are they going to be from? Find out soon. And we're going to dedicate that song, Texas Never Whispers, to the... Departed Mark Panis, the Whitecap CEO who's back now in Texas with his family. Although I'm pretty sure with the, the outbreak that they've got going on in Texas just now, he really wishes he was back in Vancouver. But talking to Mark Panis, before we, we get back to the COVID Cup chat, a little bit of an interesting tidbit came out this morning linking Whitecap's minority owner Jeff Mallet to buying a share in Mark Panis's former team over in Italy in Serie A, AS Roma. What do you make of that then, guys? 
Well, he probably it's another sports club that he wants to you know pass on to his children or something. So I don't know how many children he has, but you know he probably needs one sports club for each of them. I think he's just got two Romulus and Remus. Yet your Roman knowledge has has let you down there. I thought you were talking about Star Trek there for a second. Yeah, I was like, what is what is he getting at? What show is this I haven't watched? That's the Romulans. Nanu right. Nanu. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting, but it, it, I mean, if you, like, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, it's a bit out of left field, really. It's just like, hmm. Yeah, Matt Mallet more and more appears to be someone who has a lot of money and is just looking to invest it and make more money. Uh, but is and, investing in Italy soccer really a good idea? That's a, that's a fair question, mm-hmm. Steve. It it just seems it just seems weird. I know there's people speculating. Oh, is that tie into them uh, possibility of him, you know, trying to divulge his share hold in in BWFC or whatever? But yeah, it, it just it feels it feels weird. On it feels weird on multiple levels. I was going to say, what if this means that we have some tie up with AS Roma and we get some of their young players over in Vancouver? That would be an exciting proposition. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get any from his former team, though, in England. We never got any players from there. I know. Johnny Russell could have been here. Anyway, enough about my love for, for Johnny Russell. Let's get back to the COVID Cup, where I'm sure we'll be seeing him on the pitch, if it goes ahead. We talked in the last part about players' mental and physical health, and I do feel for the players just now. And I just want to read something that... TFC Supporters Group U Sector, they, they tweeted this out today. I, I, I thought it was a simple message, but I thought it had a fantastic meaning behind it. They said, To the TFC players, if they told you it was the fans that demanded this tournament, that was a lie. We all know that this has only ever been about ownership's bottom line. We give a shit about yours and your family's health and safety. If you don't want to get on that plane, we back you 100,000%. If you do... We back that too. Just make the best decision for you. I really like that. Yeah. Fans have been very vocal uh, about this tournament. Some journalists have as well. Some seem to be kind of playing their concerns down. But the players, it's a strange situation because some of them are going to feel that they can't speak out. They'll be worried about speaking out. They'll be worried about repercussions, what it could mean for them, fines, whatever. We've seen... Coaches like Mark DeSantis gets a fine for referring to Mickey Mouse. And now we're at Disney. So there we go. Go figure. But players are clearly starting to feel anxious. And there's been a a few tweets here and there. Some players, Chicago's CJ Sapong in particular, have been pretty vocal about it. Colorado's Diego Rubio shared a, a tweet today about another player sharing his concerns with him about breakdowns in protocol whilst within the bubble. Teams that were meant to be, as Steve mentioned, isolating in the rooms for a few days and having food brought to them, the food was not getting delivered, so they had to go down and get the food themselves and then bring it back to their room, thus using elevators or stairs or whatever, and they're quarantining to see if they've got the virus or not. So when you hear stuff like that, I mean, that is just crazy. And I think it was CJ Sapong that said you're only hearing some of this. If you hear some of the other, if you knew some of the other stuff that was going on, 
or what you're not hearing, it would blow your mind, basically. So if these are the things that we are hearing, what aren't we hearing? Because it is a little bit worrying. And that's why I'm really curious about this conference call on Monday to see just what some of the players might say about that. But there was a whole food thing. Let's get to that, first of all, since we were talking about food. Steve's got some fantastic pictures up. I mean, to me, that looks like a $65 meal. I also liked how seasonal fruit gets classed as a banana, apparently. <laughs> it is the marketing soccer league, so... True. Did you read the actual blurb for, for those sandwiches? I think I did the other day, but I can't remember. It was yeah, I so, did. Yeah, there was some, some weird description. Yeah, it was so flowery and so descriptive that your mouth was watering. It's like, oh, this like succulent ham... Uh, and this like fancy cheese and then you see the pictures of it and you're like did a monkey make that what are the animal kingdom monkeys oh no, uh, no he's he's doing transfer market stuff but i mean the, the sandwiches mls were quick to point out no that's all that's just what they get the first day that they're there while they're in quarantine even so that's horrendous and they were also getting like fizzy drinks and crisps or chips, as you would call it, and like all this unhealthy food that did not really seem suitable for, for footballers. But apparently the main food, once you get out of the, the quarantine area and the buffet, it is meant to be quite nice. The players that had tweeted that, like Omar Gonzalez and stuff, were players that hadn't even got to the bubble yet. So they were creating a bit of mischief, you could say. But obviously players are concerned, and I think rightly so. The thing is, is the, the, this food, I can, the reason why I think uh, it's a, made a big deal is because of the presentation. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, but the, the thing is, is when you're in quarantine and this kind of stuff, you don't want dishes to deal with uh, because that just spreads the thing. So we want, you want disposable boxes. And I think the people are making a big deal out of this. I don't see it as being a huge deal, especially when it's being delivered and like that. I guarantee you, this will, would look better on a plate if they had a plate and, and were able to spread it around. At this point, I agree, though, at this point, it looks like something that the CSA would have given uh, media at the, the beginning <laughs> of uh, a few years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't look good, but I, I agree that there, this is a I, – I could see people looking at this either way, and I think most player, people are going to go with the players on this. But on the other hand, the players do risk a little bit you know, coming off, coming off a little bit, um, you know, like whine, you know, whining about, about stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I think it's going to be more people are going to agree with the players perspective on this, but, uh, yeah, what Mike, you said it's supposed to get better. So let's hope for the player's sake, it gets better. And we don't have to hear about, you know, these kinds of first world problems, but, but don't fret because MLS have plans in place for entertaining the players when they're not training when they're not eating that delicious food and when they're not on the pitch they've got excursions and other activities planned have you heard all the fun things that they've got in store no does it match up to the nba partly you could maybe say it's a cheaper version than the nba that might surprise you let me share a little bit from you this is from an espn article so in terms of what they can do when they're not doing soccer activities. Each team is allowed one, one complimentary golf outing, as well as one fishing trip. 
Now, if you don't play golf or fish, maybe not that exciting for you. Yeah, oh. and, uh, I, I, I think they have the stuff inside the thing. I think there's a bowling alleys or something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get to some of the great stuff that's inside. The, yeah. There aren't, like, I guess... I guess they sanitize clubs and fishing rods pretty easy and carts pretty easy. So yeah, those don't sound super unsafe. Yeah, but I mean, these players are going to be away from wives and girlfriends for a while. So if we hear about an, an, outbra- an outbreak in the carp community or something, we kind of know what's happened there. <laughs> and those fish look shocked enough. Now, apart from the one trips that is complimentary, teams can spend their own money on additional trips. So I'm pretty sure we know that the Whitecaps all have their players out all the time because they're such free-spending players. So, I mean, that'll be good. Teams will also have access to the beaches um, as well as a grotty pool. Oh, sorry, a grotto pool, which has covered cabanas, tube rentals, water volleyball and water slides. Outdoor activities will also include bocce ball, soccer pool, tech ball tables... Giant Jenga, Cornhole, Spike Ball, Oversized Battleship, and Connect Four. Yeah, that sounds like a fun time, I guess. To, to yeah, be fair, a... that's my kind of activities. <laughs> I'm being and okay I'm, with that. I, and, I'm ass- and I'm assuming the most important thing for all these players is they have alcohol. And I think, that, I think as long as you provide them alcohol, I think they'll be happy with everything. I think they've shown in the UK over the weekend that alcohol and social distancing is not a good mix. No. Now, this is something that will excite you too. There will also be poolside movie nights featuring pop culture favourites. I don't like, know who that is. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't clarify. I guess it depends oh, so who's just, I think I think they're just talking about this franchise type movies, those big franchises like Star Wars and yeah. Marvel and DC and stuff. Well, they're, they're meant to be getting some of the films early release, so some of the superhero things. We touched on that in the last episode, but I mean, I'm I'm joking about it. That would entertain me. I'm not a beach person, so I wouldn't really want to be like when we went to to Florida in 2012. I didn't go to the beach or anything once. So like those kind of activities as a, an old boring fart would actually, I'd quite like that. I'm not quite sure that some of the young footballers, like can you, like Jordi Reyna, Jasser Kamiri playing Jenga together. There's a TV series all on its own. Yeah, that's like a one afternoon outing or so, a couple, uh, an hour or so you can have fun. You can't do that every day, no, for sure. I, I would love the water. I would do the water slides. I'd be on the water slides the whole time. A bunch of these guys will be bringing their consoles and just playing games up in their room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, there, there, is, there is a Donkey Kong machine that all the players can use. It's a communal one, which they showed some video of players using it, and it was not getting wiped down between use. So, I was going to say, that, that'll be the super spreader. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that we're all eagerly awaiting is, what is the TV coverage going to be like? Is there going to be pumped-in crowd noise? No one's asked me to spend my hard-earned money getting a cardboard cutout. I wanted so much to get a cardboard cutout down there so you could see me on in the stands, but it doesn't look like MLS are doing that. I don't know if you heard, Leeds United had to issue an apology because one of their fans had paid for a cardboard cutout and it was of Osama Bin Laden. So he was in the stands at Elland Road. And nobody noticed that before they put him in? Nope. Oh. Yeah, I that. Was it probably somebody, a, young, a young intern who doesn't know I mean, that? That's what I'm saying. It was probably somebody that wasn't even around back then that knows even know what's going on. 
I mean, the fun you could have with doing this. You could submit Greg Carefoot and then folk would, would know what he looks like at a game. Well, his picture's out there now. But yeah, you could have some great fun with that. I'm pretty sure if teams do return to their home markets, as we have to say, then the the clubs will look to get some money from that. And I'm probably going to waste some money getting some... I'll get Bailey, Predictor Pooch. We'll have him in the stands at a BC place. Maybe a serial killer or two. Charles Manson. That would be a good one to have. Because you want to have an intimidating atmosphere behind the goal. Kind of like a rogues gallery. Even more scary than what Curva Collective looked like. <laughs> oh, Michael. But back to the TV coverage. Uh, there was an article in the LA Times today. And it kind of revealed some of the, the stuff as, as to what it's going to be, be like. It looks like they're going to mic up the referees. Or at least the referee in the middle is going to have a mic on him. So that could be interesting. I mean, it's, uh, this is, seems like an opportune time to test that. Because you're going to be able to hear him a little bit anyways. Nice photos, <laughs> The human foosball. I think that might be the future of soccer. Maybe that's the future. There's options. I'm fed up, like, watching the England game, the English games, I'm really enjoying the ones that's not got the crowd noise and just, like, the atmosphere of the players. So I was watching the, the League One playoffs. I lost count of the amount of times the commentator had to apologise for the swearing. It was like every every few seconds it felt like some player was going, like, just swearing his head off. But that's yeah. the difference there. Like, if you're not going to put the crowd noise in, you're going to get that. So you'll, you'll definitely... Yeah. Uh, you'll, I'm, you'll... Glad the, I'm glad the Bundesliga went without the... The fake crowd noise. There, there's going to be a 160-person crew producing the games and more than 20 cameras, which is about double the number for regular like MLS broadcasts. They're going to have two in the locker rooms and there's going to be a camera on a drone that's going to buzz across the field during the game. See, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of this at all. Like For soccer slash football games... You do not need that many cameras. The, the, I, the thing that ruins uh, the games for me when I watch them on TV is the people cutting. Like, say somebody scores a goal, and they immediately cut away from the goal and they show somebody in the stands, and they show the coach, yeah. then they show something else, and they show the goalie. Opposite. They barely ever saw the celebration of the player scoring the goal and what happens afterwards. Like, in, in the, the English, English broadcast, German broadcast, they concentrate on the player as he celebrates and he runs to the stands. And then in the replays, you start showing the reaction of other player of people. I can't stand too many cameras in, in these broadcasts. I agree with you, Steve. The, there's nothing more beautiful than like football celebrations, and you, you don't want to get away from those. I, I, Mike, do you know do you know what uh, how many cameras are at like a World Cup game? Because if they're saying there's ten at MLS and twenty for this tournament, does mm. anyone? I don't know what the number. I think for it, I don't know. It feels like it would be a, a lot more. But the the best thing about the drone thing is that the article said the drone will be flying lower than would be safe in a normal football stadium with fans in attendance. How annoying is that going to be for the players? Exactly. But what you, you're going to hear the buzzing of the drone, I'm assuming, the whole time. Yeah, I would think so. It, it also says that they're going to, to strap two cameras and two poles. So I don't know if that's Lewandowski and Boniek maybe bringing him out of retirement or something, but that'll be fun to watch. What? Camera on a pole match. <laughs> What, uh, oh, what are, is anyone taking odds on the first player to hit the drone with the ball on purpose? Well, we some of our former strikers would have done it, maybe not on purpose, <laughs> though. Not on purpose, though. 
Robert Earnshaw might have hit one. Oh, Maybe in the yes. next field. Maybe his ball will come down during this game and hits it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's me. Ernie's a great guy. Oh, no, I, I love him. We should get him on the show. That'll kill a few hours. <laughs> Yes, it's time for some more breaking news from Monday that came out as we were editing the podcast. MLS had a a conference call on Monday afternoon with MLS SVP of media, Seth Bacon. No porkers coming from him in this one. And ESPN Vice President of Production, Amy Rosenfeld. They just had a call just to talk about what the MLS production and broadcast was going to look like during the tournament. Ironically, the ESPN VP had trouble getting her video to work, so she was just on audio. Yes, you could not make it up. But just since we were talking about media just now and what things were going to be like, I just wanted to to bring you a little bit of update from some of the stuff that we found out today. One of the questions that many people had going into this tournament was, would there be fake pumped-in crowd noise for it? And the answer is no. MLS want to have an authentic feel, they're going to just rely on the sound from the pitch. I'm great with that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, as I've talked about previously. There will be a delay button, though, for broadcasters to be able to get rid of the swearing. So maybe not fully authentic. But I guess it's understandable with the way that Americans are with swearing on television. You, you can shoot someone in the head, that's fine. But no, do not dare to say a cuss word or we'll, we'll find you and take you off the air. So that's one of the things that that was released about it. Still not sure that the delay is going to be enough to get rid of all the swear words, but but we'll see. The plan right now, despite what the report we we talked about in the LA Times said, is they are not going to be miking up any players, any coaches, or any officials. They they don't feel that this is the right time to experiment with that, and they're just going to rely on multi-directional field mics, kind of just picking up what they can. They stressed again about the authenticity aspect and that the fact that they don't want to be tinkering about too much with with how things normally work. They want this to just feel like a normal broadcast. In many ways it won't be, and they do appreciate that. They they talked as well a lot about the different camera angles and the the camera stuff that they're doing. And I'm excited to see what it's going to look like. I just hope it's not too intrusive. And uh, as Steve was talking about as well, you don't need too much fancy stuff going on. Just let the player score a goal, film them, celebrate, and don't get too fancy with this. I was in the queue to ask a question, and they had actually unmuted my mic, but before I got a chance to unmute it at my end, they cancelled the request. So whether that was a mistake or not, I don't know, but then I never got selected for my question. Most of my questions were answered, but one that I had that I was wanting to ask was what it was going to be like for the Canadian coverage, were they going to do some tailor-made production for that? So we still don't know, but they are working with TSN and other broadcasters up here. What I'm going to do is I'm probably going to bring this conference call out for our extra subscribers just so you can hear it and talk a little bit more about it in that. So for all the subscribers that we have, check your mailboxes for that. For those of you that are not already subscribing, check the site and you can find out how you can be for $3 a month or $30 a year. So, final thoughts on the COVID Cup for now. First of all, will you be watching most of the games? They're all going to be on TSN's channel, so I'm not sure how many is going to be actually on TV as opposed to you having to log in online, but 
they're all going to be shown at least. So the zone apparently have bugger all in this now. Yeah, I work I work at home, so uh, the TV's right next to my workstation, so it'll be on in the background, uh, most likely. I don't know how much I'll pay attention to it, but it'll definitely be on, on there. Uh, like, what, what, what's the earliest start? Is it 6 o'clock or something? 6, 6 a.m. This game's at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's, those games I won't be watching for sure. I'll be watching the other ones. Hopefully they're on proper TSN so you can PVR them because then you can just... Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming they'll replay it because they probably don't... They'll probably oh, replay, yeah. play, uh, play originally 6 to 8 and then they'll probably replay it at 9 or something again for people that are waking up at that time. Well, it depends about curling reruns as to if they can fit into the schedule. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, the Whitecaps game against Seattle has been delayed as we rerun the 1978 <laughs> Scotties Tournament of Hearts. <laughs> You'd be surprised at the ratings they get for those kind of things. Oh, actually, yeah. I think it's probably going to be better than some of the 6 a.m. MLS games. I remember I, I was watching Euro 2016 uh, this past week because they had it on. And because I could, I didn't, I, I honestly don't even know, I don't remember who won the tournament. Uh, at, that, at that point, I didn't remember who won. So I was watching the game. I go, oh shit, what's going to happen here? And then I remember Portugal beating uh, uh, Croatia late in, late in extra time. Like it was 118th minute or something like that. So it was almost like a brand new game for me at that point because I completely forgot who had won the tournament. I uh, I saw an interesting post, post today, Michael, on Facebook from a longtime friend of ours and uh, you know a very influential individual in the supporter culture community in Vancouver over the last uh, well more than a decade, decade and a half. Uh, Brett Brett Graham, uh, who he he posted on on his his personal page just saying. Uh, I just didn't, I, I can't watch this tournament. Like, I do not think this tournament should be happening. And so I'm just not going to watch it because I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want to support something that I don't think should be happening. And now he, of course, he lives in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he moved to Seattle a number of years ago for work. Um, but uh, yeah, I found that really interesting. Uh, and to be honest, if it wasn't for wanting to talk to you about, <laughs> about what's going, going on with it, I, I probably wouldn't watch it either. Uh, but I will probably just, yeah, keep a, uh, keep abreast of things as 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 they happen and as the, as they develop, but I won't be watching. I won't be watching intently. Uh, yeah, see that you know. Whenever I do have it on, it'll I'll be multitasking for <laughs> for sure. I, I mean, I'm probably going to be a little bit hypocritical because I'm slagging the tournament off, but I'm going to be watching it, and I, I hope it like if it goes off without a hitch. I genuinely hope it does because I don't want any players to to fall sick. I don't want this to be a disaster and they cancel it because if it damages MLS, for all its faults, that's the league that we've got and you you don't want this to cause long-term damage for the league. But ultimately, I don't want any players to go down with a, a, a serious case of this or take it home to their family and an elderly relative or, or something comes down with it. So I do hope it genuinely goes off like smoothly and that, that everything's good and the Whitecaps do well. I don't know if it's going to start on time. That's the thing. It's like the two Florida teams can probably, by the looks of it, have their game going on Wednesday. But then after that, it's starting to look a little bit ropey. I don't know whether they would maybe 
feel that they'd lose face by saying, let's wait a couple of days and we'll just start it a little bit later because they've got all the TV deals in place. I, I think they've dug a hole now that they can't get out of, so they just have to basically cross their fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like, no one wants anyone to get sick. No one wants anyone to spread this thing any further. But here, I mean, the truth of it, Michael, is their actions have seemed to have already put people in harm's way, right? If, if a number of people feels like if they haven't been traveling for this, that they might not be sick and they're sick now because they have traveled for this. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like, you you know, it reminds, you know, Back to the Future, right? Back to the Future 3, you know, you know, Marty, they're going over things and Marty's like, hey, what's this thing over here? He's like, that's the point of no return, right? Uh, and he's like, you know, Marty's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, if, if we're... If we're still going by that point, then we're, we're this thing is on. No matter what happens, this this train's going, you know, over that bridge uh, or or not. Uh, and so it feels like this is past the point of of no return for for the owners and the and the league, and that it it's gonna it's gonna be pushed forward. And we'll see we'll see if it ends up with like the 1985 ending and the everything lands on nice tracks, or it's like the 1885 and it you know, goes off a cliff and causes a lot of damage well yeah i was gonna say the last the last thing uh, i wanted to mention about that too is that um i i think they got uh, like you said before that they wanted to be the first league back on the field and i think they got greedy thinking that they would get uh like a boost in ratings uh because they were the first league and they would attract attention and everything the problem is 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 the uh, other other leagues that can afford to wait have decided to wait and, and kind of use MLS as a, as a guinea pig to identify whether they will work or not. And the thing is, you talk about the test, though. There, you know, you got uh, uh, other things like the PGA, for example, uh, the golf, golf uh, uh, tournaments that they do. There are a number of golfers that are testing positive. Yeah. And that's a, one, that's a one-on-one sport uh, where it's like you're not, you're, you're, you can social distance yourself from other competitors where you don't have to be around them. And that has got positive tests. I don't think, again, I don't think it's the bubble that's causing the tests. I don't think, I think it's just the overall country that they're doing the tournament. NHL might've done the best thing by coming to Canada to do it. The problem is, is they're bringing a whole bunch of people that might be, have the virus into Canada, which I don't like. I'm so happy that they're not coming to Vancouver. I was jumping for joy when I found out. I did not want them here at all, especially because Vancouver is a more congested area. Whereas, Edmonton isn't, so it's good that they're up there. Last thing then about the COVID Cup for for this part. Do you think it's going to finish? Quick yes or no? I think they will, like everything else in the US, I think they'll they'll push it over the line, even if they have to have people push, literally pushing it over the line. Like if it was a car broken down or something like that, they'll be pushing that over the line. So I think they will get this over, even if they have to call up more academy players or something like that into the team or something like that. I think it will be it will be completed, unless the whole country shuts down. Yeah, I want to be contrarian and say no, it won't. But I, I, at this moment, I think I agree with Steve that they're going to push it so that it does. Um, yeah. But I do think the probability of it getting stopped for one reason or another is very high. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't see it not going ahead I can't see it not finishing it, it feels a little bit it's like Agatha Christie's and then there were none are they just going to keep going until oh, there's, there's no teams left standing I, I don't know but I was saying that maybe they should do that maybe they just keep playing until uh, uh, you get a certain number of COVID tests and then you're out and whoever team with the least amount who gets the trophy Last and they're more standing. socially 
they're more socially responsible too because they were able to avoid the COVID. I still like my battle royale idea that I had at the the start of the the year of the Hunger Games. Just drop them all into a swamp in in Florida. My money's on Ali Adnan. Ali Adnan will take them all out. But we will be back talking about the start of the tournament next week. And I've got a little bit of audio coming up after the break from Thierry Henry and some of the MLS players just talking about the tournament. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kripo from the Vancouver Whitecaps and you're listening to the EFTN Show. The granny farmer. He was infamous for 15 minutes and he appeared on Panorama. Then he somehow got himself on board the Starship Enterprise Allowance Scheme with a Prince of Wales award for pushing Valium and Amphetamine. Kicking off their residency as AFTN's Artist of the Month for July, Carter, the unstoppable sex machine there with Sheriff Fatman, a 1989 single taken from their debut album that was released a year later, 101 Damnations. You're going to hear some great stuff from Carter coming up this month. Another one of my all-time favourite bands. The first proper concert that I actually went to see was Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine at the Glasgow Barrowlands, that iconic venue. Tremendous gig that night. Support came from Irish band of Frank and Walters. Lots of great memories from us heading through to that one. Also a big regret as well because the Frank and Walters had a t-shirt that night that I didn't have enough money to buy that and a Carter t-shirt and I bought the Carter t-shirt. And I always wanted to get that Frank and Walters t-shirt. Never been able to track it down since. Had a, a nice print on it, but it was the wording on it that I particularly liked. The Frank and Walters, they took me to their planet. But this isn't the Frank and Walters time to be a residence here at AFTM. It is Carter's time. For those that may not know who Carter or the Unstoppable Sex Machine are, they're a very influential two-piece English band. Started out in 1987 were active until 2014, had a couple of reunions and stuff, a couple of times away from everything. They've, they've said they're not playing together again as Carter. Both members have gone their individual ways, got solo careers, got bands and stuff like that. I still hope they do play some more gigs together because it would be absolutely fantastic. They released six studio albums over the years and a, a number of standalone singles as well. And on those singles, there was a, a lot of 
tracks that you, you didn't find on any of their other albums, some great cover versions, just some of their, their best stuff is actually featured on their CD singles. And one of those standalone singles is going to be coming up to kick off part five. For now, let's get back to the football chat. And I'm going to bring you in this part a, a little bit of audio that I've gathered in the past week from a, a couple of conference calls that I was on. First up is a, a call that I, I was on on Wednesday with Montreal Impact. My first chance so far to have a little bit of a chat with head coach Thierry Henry. But I want to bring you a, a couple of the things from the English part of his call, including my couple of questions that I got to ask him. So let's hear now from Montreal Impact head coach Thierry Henry. Now if you come on down to high you can see Thierry Henry. He is the best player you will ever see. A question for you just about the challenges around the protocol uh, that has been put in place so far um, and what you will be heading into in Florida as far as the protocol that you'll have to go through. Um, from a coaching staff's perspective, uh, what have the challenges been so far and what are the challenges that you anticipate uh, when you uh, arrive in Florida? Listen, we're going to have to, you know, to see what's going to happen when we're going to be there and, and, and deal with what we have to deal with. I said it so many times that we're going to have to adapt to any situation because that's just the way it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, nobody has lived that before. And so we're going to have to go through that. Whatever's going to come our way, we're going to be, uh, we're going to have to be ready for that. Um, it's an awkward one, as we all know, but as long as we're not there, uh, as I said before, I was trying to explain that in French is we can only prepare ourselves to go there and try to perform. Whatever is going to come our way, we're going to have to adapt to, to the situation or, or, or whatever is going to happen. There are some stuff that we cannot talk about yet because they didn't happen yet because we're not there yet. Uh, other than that, as a staff, you're trying to prepare your team the best way you can in order to, to, to perform. And the people that, are doing, that are, have to do their job for the protocol and the health uh, issue that we might have or because of the situation that we are in, they're going to have to do that. And all we can do is try to help and be responsive to, to, to the situation there and, and perform whenever you can. Because at the end of the day, we're going there also to try to, to, to play well, uh, show a good show uh, and show what the MLS is about. So hopefully we can do that. I'm just curious with everything that's been going on with the coronavirus, uh, has it, how has it affected you Personally, do you know of any family members or any close friends of yours or any per people in your circle who have come across the disease or, or anything of the sort? I was just curious how it may have affected your personal life. Well, yeah, thank you for asking that. And uh, yeah, a couple of people had it in my, in my family, a couple of friends also had it. Uh, they come out of it well. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure, you know, everyone on this call must have known someone that had it or, or family or, or, or friends. And so, yeah, it, it was, um, and it still is a, a kind of a weird situation that we need to adapt. It will never be the same after COVID-19, you know, so as long as the vaccine is not there and, you know, we're going to have to respect, uh, distances and, and, and wear the mask, you know, being on the field with a mask. And, and try to, to deliver a session, uh, it's, not, it's not the easiest thing. Um, but you have, to, you have to adapt, you have to understand that you, wear, you have to wear it. 
but to ask to answer to your question again, and thanks again to ask to ask that question. Uh, yeah, a couple of my family member at it. Uh, like I said, friends, and you know, you start to realize. I think, like I said uh, earlier on on the call, I don't know if you were on it. Like, COVID nineteen brought us back to being human and being together and help each other. Um, and I hope you know it, it wasn't only because of 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 the pandemic that we can carry on doing the same thing. Hopefully. I wanted to ask you again a kind of personal question for yourself. You're new to the city, you're new to the club, but you had a couple of games under under your belt as a coach at the Impact. How challenging have you found the last couple of months as a head coach during this? And what's kind of been the greatest challenges that, that you've faced during this time? Well, in all fairness, yeah, it has been challenging, but it has been challenging for everybody in this world. Uh, what was challenging is we were we felt that we were going places because uh, we were carrying momentum. Although I know we lost against Olympia, but I don't think we did deserve to lose. And we had a, a, an amazing second half where we could have reversed the tie, but we didn't. Uh, and then you have to stop. So you have to restart again. Uh, having said that, because we stopped also, we, we got 100, 100 players back. Uh, that was very challenging in all fairness to, to be able to try to put something into the, the brain of the players that they can understand what you want and how we train. And physically, they were to a certain level where they could repeat sprints, and that's how we want to play. And then suddenly, you have to stop and start again. Um, it, it's not always easy to do that. And that was, in all fairness, as a coach and as uh, you know, the staff, also uh, pretty challenging. Wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, uh, I know it's been a while, but the draw. And, and are you excited about the fact of drawing Toronto FC? And what are your thoughts heading into your first taste of the Canadian Classic as a Montreal Impact Manager? Well, we all know how special the game is for for the blue side of this country. Um, it will be my first. Uh, and so, you know, I can understand the rivalry. I saw it, I saw it from afar, having Patrice Bernier and, and a couple of people that have been fans of, uh, of, of, this, of this club for a very long time. They're telling me how much... They care about it. The fans already told me how much they care about it. I'm sure it's the same on the right side, uh, obviously, of, of, uh, of Canada and Ontario. Um, but, listen, it is what it is. It's not only going to be Toronto in this group. We played already against New England. We're going to have to play DC. Um, so, yeah, it is what it is. That, that's how it's going to be. But you know, I know it is a special game. And I'm not going to pretend that I know all about it because I don't. I just arrived and I know I'm going to feel it. Uh, we want our fans and fans usually bring a special um, addition into the game normally. But we're going to have to deal with what we have to deal as you know the situation. Uh, but yes, it is, it is uh, an important game. And trust me, everybody is letting me know how special it is. I want to know uh, competitive players, of course, at this level, you want to win every single game. But I was wondering... Uh, with MLS adding that Champions League qualification if you win the tournament. Uh, just want to know your thoughts on that instead of just having the games just count for the regular season. Well, listen, it is what it is. You, you know, you know how, how, obviously, you know the rules because you just, you just uh, uh, told, told us. But um, for us, is when you have a game in front of you, you're trying to be the best team that you can, put the best team that you can out there also in function of what's going to happen for us in the next week. 
And after the, the, the first game and the second game and the third one, if you go through, you're going to have to readjust and see how the guys are coping with, me, with it sorry, physically and mentally. That's very important uh, as a coach. Um, but yeah, as you said, you said it yourself. You try to play a game one by one and try to win them all. Uh, that's always going to be the goal and, and that's going to be the goal for all the teams that are going there. Um, that's how we're going to prepare to try to win uh, the games that we have right in front of us. But, you know, it's going to only be one winner, as we all know. So um, let's see who is going to be. Um, and we're going to try to play hard, as hard as we can. Like always, uh, since I've arrived here, uh, I've been asking my team to always fight. And then the result will take care of itself, but you have to fight up until the end. Tournament football is different, right? Um, do you feel with your vast experience personally of tournament football, you can pass on your know-how uh, onto your players in advance of the Florida tournament and also off the pitch and how you combat perhaps hotel fatigue or boredom amongst the squad? Well, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I kind of, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I know I played a lot of tournaments and I was involved in a lot of, a lot of tournaments for a long time, even at a young age, right? But we could go out, you could have a day off, you could go into towns, you could see people, you could have your family. So you can't compare that to what we're gonna, where we're going to go. And understand me well, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying the situation is different because of COVID-19, right? We all know that we cannot do that. And so it's difficult to compare, it's uncomparable for me. And also when you, you, you play into a tournament, normally you have you have you play three to five, three to, been between three to five uh, friendly games before you go into a tournament. Uh, but again, because of COVID-19, you cannot. So for me, it will be the first time that I'm going to have to deal with this type of situation that we all have to adapt to it. And the MLS did whatever they could to put us in this type of situation. But it will be the first time for me to deal with that because I never dealt in a situation where I can't do anything other than go on the field, back to my room, go on the field, and go to a game. Um, that will be the first time for me, and that will be the first time for a lot of people. Uh, and everyone is trying to deal with that and understanding how it's going to be. Um, we have to be prepared for that and understand what it is. But if you want me to compare it to any other tournament that I played, they were not like that because of COVID-19. So it's a tough one. Just wanted to ask you, Thierry, Watching a lot of the, the English games since it's come back, a lot of the players have been going down with injuries, especially hamstring injuries. Is that a big concern for you heading down there, especially considering what the temperatures are going to be like? Well, the, the physical and mental integrity of the players should be the most important thing uh, that a coach should think of. Then the tactic comes. What you want is make sure that they don't get injured. But once again, because of the situation, you're going to have to adapt to that. And as you mentioned, I watched the German league, I watched the, the Premier League, you watch any league, guys are getting injured. Because it's tough to prepare, stop, re-prepare and play. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. And if you add the conditions of where we're going to play, but once again, it is not ideal, right? But it is what it is. And if we want to see the MLS again, that was the way... Uh, uh, to do it and so we have to adapt to that but yes obviously you don't want to lose people uh, physically or mentally anyway I noticed you also put out a statement earlier this month uh, in light of the uh, 
death and sh- of, uh, of George Floyd out in Minnesota. Yeah. And you brought out some thoughts of, of what's going on, of what's been happening over there and, and how there's been need of change. I'm just curious, again, with uh, the different anti-racism protests that have been going on, how have those weighed in on your mind as you've been trying to prepare for for the MLS's back tournament and everything else going on? Well, listen, you know, first and foremost, to do what I, uh, what I did on this statement was the bare minimum of what I could do. Uh, I think that we all know that Black Lives Matter. We've been talking about it. Everyone is doing it. Everyone is showing um, that they, they, they start to understand our pain. Um, having saying that, uh, I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know what's going to be allowed for us to do or not do to show support uh, to the cause. Um, I have something that I would like to do that I will keep for myself, and uh, and then we will see we will see what's going to happen. But we have to uh, become a we. Uh, because for me, at the end of the day, there is only one race: is the human race. Uh, and I do not understand how else people see it, but some people do see it a different way. Um, but we have to all become a we, uh, and starting with the with the tournament. Um, um, when we're going to arrive there and be and be together, not only saying it but showing it will be nice too. Now if you come on down to Highbury, you can see Thierry Henry. He is the best player you will ever see. Thierry Henry. So that was Thierry Henry there just answering some questions ahead of the COVID Cup that's going to be kicking off on Wednesday. The bulk of that conference call was in French, so I'm not really sure what he said, as I I don't speak any French. But there was one fun quote which was tweeted out uh, and translated, where he was asked how he was being kept up to date with all the developments at the tournament and everything like that. And he said he gets all his information from Mr. Graham, first name Insta. So obviously the, the club's feeling that they're not getting great communication from the league there. But the tournament does look to be all systems go. And it is kicking off this Wednesday, as I said. And for for all the faults you can find in the tournament, it is kicking off with what should be a a fantastic match. It's the Florida Derby between Orlando City and Inter-Miami. Not quite going to be the same as the first Florida Derby would have been, if fans were there and all the passion and the smoke and the atmosphere, you, you just know it, it was going to be absolutely electric. And I think you can also be pretty sure there was going to be trouble outside in the, the streets as well, ahead and after the game, judging by how passionate some of the fan base is and some of the abuse that's been flying back and forward on, on social media in the build-up to this one. So MLS put two players up on Monday. Just to, to chat about the, the first game of the tournament. For Orlando, they put up Nani. And for Inter, they put up Rodolfo Pizarro, the Mexican striker that is with Inter Miami just now. Now, Rodolfo's chat, what it was of it, I think it was just about five questions, was all in Spanish. Four of the questions actually were in Spanish with no English translation, so no idea of what he said about that. He did mention, though, that he was feeling safe as part of the inter-team in the question that was asked in English. At least Nani's questions and answers were all in English. I just want to bring you just a little bit of that now, just to give you a flavour, a little bit of build-up to this game that's kicking things off on Wednesday. So let's hear now from former Man United and Freddie Montero's teammate at Sporting CP, Nani. 
Um, I was just wondering, you know, with the suspension in those first two matches of the season, it's been a while since you've been on the pitch. So kind of how are you feeling and what are your goals for yourself as you're getting back into, into play this week? Yeah, my goal is um, start playing again um, after this pandemic, after being out from the two first games of the, the season and try um, on the first game, show quality of my football, of my um, conditioning, of my physical conditions, and show um, I'm ready to compete again and to help my team to achieve them goals. Um, we know it's been hard moments with all these situations, but we've been working hard and I hope we can do good football um, on this competition. Inter-Miami has only played two games ever, so you haven't had too much chance to see them. But from what you saw so far in the first two games against L.A. and D.C., uh, what is your impression of the Miami team and what are you expecting on Wednesday from them? We expect a difficult game, um, very excited game. Everyone is want to see what's going to happen in the in that uh, rivality. But um, I saw a good team. Are, they are building a strong team. They have good, good players. They are new on the league, but um, I think they had time to work. And I saw some good things on, on the two first games. And they have quality on the, them players. For sure, it will be very difficult for us. But um, we must be ready for that game. How much worry is there among the players in terms of the health aspects of all of this? I mean, we've seen, you know, the news stories about some teams delaying their travel. We've seen the chatter among some players and coaches in the league about how nervous they are. What's your sense of it and what are you hearing? Tell the truth, to be honest. Um, I feel safe here. Um, since I arrived here in the hotel, uh, I see all the conditions the way they, um, they, they manage everything for the players to be safe, uh, I agree with. And um, until now, I see all the players here, all the teams, they, they, they look happy, they, they, they look like comfortable with all these protocols. And obviously, there were some uh, stories uh, about some players who got the, the virus, but I think uh, these, these players, they they came already with the virus to the hotel. Um, so that's, that's, that's a, a thing to don't worry um, the ones who are already here. And they've been managed very well, all these situations. Um, I'm, I'm positive about the tournament, about the, uh, all the bubble here in, in Disney. And I hope we continue like that until the end of this tournament. Because we are already here, we want to make this tournament and we, we wanted to make it well. And I want everyone to be safe. We want to go back home safe and, uh, and happy. I wanted to ask you, uh, in light of Carlos Vela announcing today, or not announcing it, being reported, excuse me, that he was not going to participate, did you give any thought to not competing in, in the MLS's back tournament? No. Um, I have different 
uh, mind and different way to think about soccer, about everything's going on in the world, um, all about myself. Because I always try in the difficult moments to find a motivation to keep going, um, thinking about life, don't stop. You must continue to live. You must continue to believe on the future. And I always think if I stop now, I will not be able to continue further when there is a possibility. And that's why my decision always was to came to this tournament, continue to make uh, my way to, to what, what, what I want. And uh, obviously I heard about the, some players not coming there is a situation we all must respect because a part of being a soccer player um, or an athlete, we are human and we must respect some decisions of some player who was not comfortable to be here. They want prefer to be with family to protect themselves, them families. Um, but I uh, respect also everyone who decide to come here because this is life. We must um, continue to fight for what we want in our lives and to make a better, better world um, and better, better moments and better days. I wanted to know what is more difficult for you guys as a players, the mental part into this tournament with, you know, being at home first, then getting to train alone, now this, or the physical and tactical part, having your team and new coaching staff and a new philosophy that you need to implement? I think the hardest is the mental part. Because once you're here, you are away from your home, family, and then you're not allowed to see them uh, regular or any day you want, you can't. So you must be strong and wait until end of the tournament because that's what everyone wants to be, be at the end of the tournament. And once you think like that, you know it's, 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 it's going to be long, but um, um, you must handle, you must be strong and believe everything's going to be okay and then try to com maintain the, the contact and uh, communication with your family, make sure they are safe. Uh, because I think this is the most difficult part. But I think if um, you manage well, everything will from outside will look easy. And uh, at the end, everyone will smile and be much stronger than ever because we, we, did, we did one step over a difficult moment. So some thoughts from Nanny there ahead of the opening match of the COVID Cup on Wednesday. Like Pizarro, feeling very safe and secure in the bubble. And I'm sure once things do settle down, as we said earlier, things are going to, to be a bit better in that bubble. It's just the build-up to the bubble that has been horrendous so far. I also think as well that if today's media conferences were a, an indication of how things are going to be during this tournament, it's going to be a very, very long tournament for reporters. The two players were put up separately. Asked five questions each. Didn't seem to really matter what order you got in to ask the question. It was just kind of cherry-picked who was going to be asking what. Not ideal. 
bit of a waste of time really, but uh, Nanny said a couple of interesting things there, so I thought I'd stick it in just for you to listen to. But of course, the two big news stories coming out of the COVID Cup on Monday was not to do with the upcoming games or the start of the tournament. It was more about who was not going to be there. We've already touched about FC Dallas pulling out. The other big, big story that dropped around lunchtime on Monday was that the current league MVP, one of the star names in the league, one of the names that excites a large contingent of fans around the league, LAFC's Carlos Vela, was not going to be taking part in the tournament. Vela released a statement on Monday through his club confirming that he was not heading to Orlando due to a family situation. I'll I'll just read what Vela's actual statement on it was. He said, I would like nothing more than to be with my teammates in Orlando. I always want to give everything I have to my club, our fans and supporters and the city of LA. However, it is in the best interest of the health of my family to stay home and be with my wife during what is a risky pregnancy. I will miss being with my teammates and coaches, but I will be cheering and supporting LAFC from a distance. I can't wait to be back in the field playing for all of you and accomplishing great things with our club. Vamos, LAFC. And I I think that's an absolutely correct decision for Vela to make. I really admire him for, for doing that. It is embarrassing, of course, for the league for one of their star players not to be there, but it is the correct decision. A statement was issued by LAFC Executive Vice President of Soccer Operations and under GM and former Whitecap, John Thorrington, who said that LAFC fully supports and respects the difficult decision Carlos and his family have made to not participate in the tournament. We have had numerous conversations with Carlos throughout the process and understand his unique situation and the importance of Carlos being home with his family at this time. We appreciate the support from the league and we look forward to having Carlos rejoin the club when we return from Orlando and begin moving forward with the rest of the season. Of course, if there is indeed a rest of the season. So you've got MLS heading into this tournament now, starting in a couple of days. They're without one of their big name players. They're without a team. They're scrambling now to see how they can make all this work. MLS wanted to get some attention and some notice from being back on the pitch. They've certainly done that. They they do say that no publicity is bad publicity. Well, I think this is testing that to the extremes a little bit. But the drama did not end there because, just as we were putting the finishing touches to this episode, news broke that Freddie Montero has not travelled with the Whitecaps and has decided to stay at home in Vancouver with his wife and family. Posting on Instagram, he mentioned it's been a a tough couple of months for for him and his family and there's, there's been a health emergency in there as well. So he's made the tough decision to stay at home. I personally back that 100%. I would back any of the players, whether it was health grounds or not, to decide not to travel to, to this tournament. If anyone has any concerns, I genuinely feel they have the right to, to not go to this tournament. There's a, a lot of murmurs out there that there's going to be more games postponed. TFC only flew out today, so it seems really difficult that they're going to be playing their first match on Friday. 
So we could have a, a few more postponements. We might even see the knockout stage kind of pushed back a little bit for this. Nashville appear to have five cases with a potential for eight, according to the MLS is back insider Twitter account. I, I mentioned this on Twitter. I had a, a discussion on Twitter the other day that I did not know that so many of the teams were using the same plane to charter to and from Orlando. And to me, that just seems a, a kind of ridiculous idea. Now, I know the planes are going to be fully cleansed and everything like that, but does that do a proper job? Do they get to every part of it? Is the virus lingering in the air or through the filtration system or, or something like that? It would certainly be interesting to check out these teams that have had the positive tests since arriving in Orlando, did they travel on the same plane? Might be barking up the, the completely wrong tree here, but certainly something that's made me think over the past couple of days. But then what has not made you think over the past couple of days in this tournament that is just getting weirder and weirder? In talking to some media today as well, MLS Commissioner Don Garber has said that if it's getting to the stage where teams' health and the players' health is in jeopardy, or that protocols are not sort of as secure as it should be, he will look at cancelling the tournament. I don't think it is going to get to that as of right now, but you just never know. It's just, it's embarrassing for the league, and, I mean, they're going to have egg on their face. And if they cancel, I think, yeah, they'll get a lot of criticism for that. But at the same time, if you take that bold decision now to cancel this tournament... I think it's a brave decision and I think fans would realise that you are putting the players' health and well-being above profit. So I'm pretty sure we can expect this tournament to be going on as is. But that is it for our COVID cup chat for now. Hopefully we can get the rest of this podcast out without more breaking news and I can actually get this released for you to listen to. But now it's time for this week's Wavelength. And for anyone that is new listening to the show, just to explain, Wavelength is the section of the show where we play a song all about football. Could be by a band, by a football team, by a footballer himself. But the one thing that links all the tunes that we play in this section is they are all about the beautiful game. For this week's Wavelength, we are going back to 2008 and a song from Glasgow-born singer-songwriter Al Stewart from his 16th studio album, Sparks of Ancient Light. And I think, at a time like this, with the Covid Cup about to start, every team is looking for one of these. This is a song called Football Hero. In the centre of the field Stands the favourite player The ball comes flooding in They say a silent prayer for him Fifty yards away A minute left to go The reflux at his watch Oh Oh, he cuts it to the right Gets past a defender 
bar of blue and white The moment hangs suspended in time One man left to beat He can see the goalkeeper's eyes There's magic in his feet Oh, oh And a single ray of sunlight Reaches down to touch the golden boy Seems to light his way Towards the net In his mind He sees the headlines In the morning newspaper This'll be A day They won't forget Now he's on his own In control of it all The shot comes flying in Headed for the corner of the goal Bounces off the post He watches as it falls Oh, everyone will say He should have passed the ball Now the crowd has gone The stadium is empty Several hundred times He will watch the replay on TV Many years from now When his name's recalled Everyone will say He should have passed the ball He should have passed the ball
Football Hero there from Al Stewart's 2008 album Sparks of Ancient Light. But that is it for this penultimate part of this week's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. Coming up, we have part two of our latest episodic serial and we travel around the world with Joe Corona. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was After the Watershed by AFTN's Artist of the Month for July, Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. A standalone single, that was their seventh single release in 1991, reached number 11 in the UK charts. Did not chart over here. Not actually sure how familiar people over here are with Carter, but if you're not, hopefully the the coming weeks will introduce you to a fantastic band. I mentioned that they were quite an influential band. I think nowadays you wouldn't have sort of the the likes of maybe Slaves or Sleaford Mods, but without the the scene being set as a kind of two piece band by by Carter back in the eighties and nineties. Kind of similar sound as well, but. One thing that, that Carter were particularly known for was their wordplay. The main singer-songwriter, Jim Bob, his lyrics are absolutely fantastic. Some of the best clever wordplay you're going to hear in some indie songs from that time and indeed now as well. And if you, if you want a recommendation from me, if you want to get into Carter a little bit and where to kind of start off, there's their 1995 Straw Donkey, the singles album. So that, that's quite a, a good one to get, kind of get into the feel of them. And if you're just wanting some of their albums, like their first three albums in particular are all fantastic. 101 Damnations, 30 something, and 1992 The Love Album. So, I mean, they're all great to have. Also, I would recommend that the solo stuff of Jim Bob and also of Fruit Bat who was the other member of the band, Les Carter, who the the band were named off. Is he an unstoppable sex machine? Couldn't possibly comment. 
But one fun fact that I, I will mention, I mean, I've mentioned they're one of my favourite all-time bands, so you can probably imagine how surreal it is, this next little story that I'm going to tell you. Les Carter, Fruit Bat, is actually going out with one of my best friends in Scotland now. They'd known each other for, for years, just from her going to, to watch Carter over the years. Both found themselves single. They got together. And it's fantastic to see. Very happy the pair of them. Had a chance to, to hang out in the pub with them as well before. And again, great couple. A great band. And we've got more songs to come from them over the course of the next month. Hope you've enjoyed the two songs we've had from them so far. We'll get back to a little bit more football chat soon. But before that, it's time for part two of AFTN's new episodic drama serial taken from the pages of the 1958 Roy of the Rovers album. Here's the second instalment of Wanted for Wembley. Last time in Wanted for Wembley, Robbie Rennick, a junior player with Milton Rangers FC, was also their kit man. He was getting the team's kit all ready for their big FA Cup final appearance the next day, when he found an old pair of football boots belonging to star striker Jack Rush. Packing away Jack Rush's new football boots, Robbie took the old pair home with him to save them getting thrown out. He was going to ask Jack if he could keep them. Unbeknownst to him, though, these were Jack Rush's lucky boots. Without them, he was not going to play well in the cup final. And Robbie was now in a race against time to get these boots to Jack Rush. Can he do it? Find out more in this week's Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. Part 2. Nobody believe him. Ted and I must have made a mistake. We packed an almost new pair. Jack Rush has gone to Wembley without his favourite boots. I've got him here. What am I going to do? Robbie rushed to his room and took the boots from the cupboard. These must be the ones the chap on the radio was talking about, groaned Robbie. Gee, it's terrible. Jack expects to play in his old boots. These old boots. Yet he'll find he's only got that nearly new pair. I've got to do something about it. I'm partly to blame. If Rangers lose today, I'll never forgive myself. Robbie dashed to the telephone and rang the Rangers stadium, but there was no reply. Then he tried the home of Walter Jarvis, the manager, and drew another blank. He should not have expected a reply. The manager was already with the team on its way from a country hotel where they had been staying. Robbie tried to make a call to Wembley Stadium, only to find all the lines engaged. It's no good wasting any more time at the telephone, Robbie told himself. Jack Rush needs these boots, and I'm the only one who can get them to him. He rushed next door to his pal, Harry Harper, with whom he had planned to watch the final on television. It's no good getting impatient, Robbie, grinned Harry, thinking Harry had turned up for the TV. They don't kick off for two hours yet. It isn't that, exclaimed Robbie. I've got to make a journey in a hurry, an urgent journey. Would you drive me in your car? What? And miss the final? exclaimed Harry. No fear. Surely this trip can wait until after the match. You don't understand, Harry. I've got to get to Wembley, cried Robbie. Wembley? What the heck for? To see the final? 
Have you gone crazy or something? What's the joke, Robbie? Listen, Harry, I'm not joking. I'm desperate. You see, Jack Rush has gone off without his boots. It could lose us the cup, Robbie exclaimed excitedly. Well, you can't help it, said Harry. In any case, they're not likely to make him play in his stockinged feet. They'll find him another pair. Please listen, Harry, and try to understand, cried Robbie, and quickly he told his pal about his old boots and the mistake that had been made. Now, do you see why I've got to get to Wembley with those boots? If Jack Rush has to play in those other boots, he'll be a flop. Or anyway, he may not be able to play his usual game. Playing in boots you're not used to would put any man out of his stride, even one as good as Jack Rush. By jingo, I think I see what you mean, nodded Harry gravely. Okay, I'll go get the car out right away. We'll do our best, but I warn you, I don't think we'll get there before kick-off. The traffic will be dreadful. We've got to try, insisted Robbie. I can't let down the Rangers. Harry soon had the car running and Robbie jumped in, the all-important boots tucked under his arm. Step on it, urged Robbie. It won't do us any good to get nabbed for speeding, Harry pointed out. Leave it to me, lad. I'll do my best. Robbie sat tense and silent, content to leave Harry to concentrate on his driving. It was Harry who eventually spoke first. I've been wondering, he said. When we do get there, how will you get into the stadium? You haven't got a ticket or anything. I'll worry about that when we get there, Robbie answered. I'll make them let me in somehow. And once I'm inside, I'll be all right. I was there a couple of years ago for a schoolboy international. We were shown all over the stadium, so I know my way around. Harry became silent again. The miles sped by. They were making good time, but not nearly good enough. It seemed to Robbie that the road was an endless succession of speed restriction signs, zebra crossings and traffic lights all at red, all designed to slow them down. Robbie was itching to tell his pal to go faster, but he knew that Harry was already driving as fast as was safe without endangering themselves or other people on the busy roads. Suddenly, Robbie glanced at the dashboard clock. "'Is it that time already?' he exclaimed. "'That clock stopped,' Harry grunted. Switch on the car radio. Robbie hurriedly obeyed. Almost instantly, a great roar of cheering came from the radio. The broadcast from Wembley had already begun. Gosh! Listen, Harry, the game's started, Robbie cried hoarsely. Next moment, he heard the excited voice of the commentator. Yes, it's a goal! After only five minutes' play, Hardwicker won up. I'm afraid things are looking bad for the Rangers. It's the old story of the advantage being with the side that settled down first. Rangers just don't seem to be able to get anything going. We haven't seen anything yet from Jack Rush. The ball just won't run right for him, and unless Jack can strike his form, I'm afraid we shan't see much of the Rangers' forward line. It's those boots, groaned Robbie. I knew it. Jack can't play without his favourite boots, and I've got them here. A fresh roar of excitement came from the radio set. Jack Rush had kicked off again for the Rangers, but their attack couldn't get going. Hardwick is storming back. They're right on top now, inspired by that goal, reported the radio commentator excitedly. It looks as if they're going to be all out for another, while Rangers are still groggy. The right winger is going through. Rangers defence is all at sea. This must surely be another goal. He shoots. Phew, that was a narrow shave. With the goalkeeper beating all ends up, Rangers' skipper suddenly raced back and cleared an almost certain shot, 
right off the goal line. By Jove, that was enough to give Rangers fans heart failure. Me too, gasped Robbie. This is terrible. It's a long clearance up the middle, the commentator went on. The ball's going straight to Jack Rush. What's he going to do with it? This could make all the difference. Rush! A groan came from the radio. Well, well, Jack Rush failed to trap the ball properly. Now it's gone harmlessly over the line for a goal kick to Hardwick. I don't understand it. This must be a big surprise to everybody. I would never have expected Jack Rush to suffer from nerves. But so far, we haven't seen anything at all of the form that has brought him international honours. Robbie put his hands over his ears. He couldn't bear to listen. It was all his fault. If only he and Ted Jones had not made the mistake of packing the wrong boots, Rangers might be leading instead of being one down. By now, Robbie and his pal were getting near to Wembley. Ahead, they could see the familiar skyline, the shape of the twin-towered stand, and he could plainly hear the faint rumble of the excited roaring of the mighty crowd. Why are we slowing down? Robbie asked sharply. We're not there yet. Ah, it's about as near as we can get, answered Harry. I'm looking for a place to park. Gosh, did you ever see so many cars and coaches? There doesn't seem to be anywhere to get in. Just then, further progress was halted by a speed cop, and Harry had to pull up. Robbie grabbed up his precious boots, and he started to open the car door. I'll run the rest of the way. It'll be quicker. Thanks for everything, Harry. See you sometime, he panted as he sprang out. He ran down a wide approach strewn thick with litter of paper and rubbish shed by the thousands of fans. The towering rear of the stadium was like a great cliff or the wall of an impregnable fortress. Robbie paused, staring in helpless bewilderment at the many direction signs and the long row of turnstile entrances. Just then a policeman approached him. Can I help you, lad? he asked. I've got to get inside, blurted Robbie. Left it a bit late, haven't you? exclaimed the policeman in surprise. They've been playing for half an hour. Which block do you want? What's the number on your ticket? I, I haven't got a ticket, confessed Robbie. But I, I... You haven't got a ticket? Come off it, lad. You ought to know that you'll never get into a cup final without a ticket. Look at all these people. The policeman indicated groups of disconsolate fans hanging about along the approaches to the turnstile entries. They all turned up in the hope of finding someone who'd got a ticket to sell, and they're still waiting. But this is different, Robbie insisted. I've got Jack Rush's boots. I must get inside to give them to him. Do you expect me to believe that a chap in a cup final would rely on a lad like you bringing his boots, especially half an hour after kick-off? What's he been up to until now, playing on his bare feet? Sorry, lad. I tell you, Jack Rush, he's got the wrong boots. That's why the Rangers are losing. Robbie protested. I've got his proper ones here. I can prove it to you. Here, look. Robbie unwrapped the parcel and the policeman looked at the disreputable, scruffy pair of boots. Okay, I've seen them. Now you can throw them back in the rubbish heap where you found them, he chuckled. But you don't understand, cried Robbie. You think I'm trying it on? I'm afraid I do, son. The constable replied, You're not the first chap who's tried to get inside without a ticket, not by a long chalk, although I must give you credit for thinking up a novel idea. Most of them tell me hard luck stories about leaving the ticket at home on the sideboard, or that they've had their wallet pinched on the train. Some say they were supposed to meet a pal who's got the tickets and he hasn't turned up. 
At least you're original. But you've got a cheek thing and I'd be daft enough to believe ye. Robbie groaned. It began to look as if he wouldn't succeed in delivering the boots after all. Will Robbie get to deliver the boots to Jack Rush? Is that what is throwing Jack Rush off his game? Even if he does get the boots, can he turn the cup final round for Milton Rangers? Find out next time in the next part of Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. So what's going to happen next week? Tune in to find out. Now we're just going to finish tonight's show with a quick travel around the world with Joe Corona. And the Bundesliga has wrapped up. They did well coming back. EPL has kind of done well, apart from the, the odd injury here and there. I mean, it's kind of gone off without a hitch. But I'm pretty sure, Zach, like me, you were glued to your television screen or your laptop screen on Saturday morning, watching the big game. Vikinger heading to Scala in the Faroe Islands Premier League. Fantastic 4-0 victory. All the goals come in the first half. Two penalties. Back to winning ways. Beautiful setting. Lush mountains growing out behind the stadium. I mean, best way to start a weekend, surely. I'm sure it was for you, man. I'm sure it was. How did sluts do? I'm not mentioning sluts anymore. They are absolute shit. They sacked their manager. At the start of all this, we were talking about Champions League football. Now we're in a relegation battle. They haven't won in like seven or eight games. They give it up too easy. That's the problem with them. Oh, they do. I mean, for, for a while they were good coming from behind, but now it's like they're just getting screwed all over the place. Are you going to apply for the managerial position? They've filled it already. Oh, okay. He doesn't seem very good either. They're quick to fill it. Yeah, I mean, it's... Sluts have always been quick to, to fill any holes that they've got in their organisation. Oh, my. But let, let, let's move away from Sluts and Vikings and talk about what you were watching on Saturday morning, Zach. Alfonso Davies lifted another cup. Zach's wearing his special Lord of the Rings Bayern Munich hat. Are you wearing your little Lederhosen? No. Oh. I don't own Lederhosen. Lederhosen is not cheap, my friend. Um, you can actually, Byron makes later hosen that you can buy. Um, but no, I don't, at this point in my life, I don't own later hosen. Maybe um, one day. Should, should be crowdfund for you. I mean, you can, but there's probably better causes in the world that people could give money to, right? Um, mm-hmm. No, it was great. The Dave Papal Cal finale was uh, Saturday morning in, at the Olympiastadion in Berlin. Uh, Byron got to play uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, the result was the exact same result as a few weeks ago when they played in the league or earlier when they played in the league. It was a 4-2 uh, victory for, for Bayern. Uh, it was a, f- a fun game. Um, if you're a Bayern supporter, it was a fun game. Um, Alfonso Davies started the game, played 90 minutes, uh, did well. Uh, he, he's similar to um, his last few games where, yeah, there's, you know, there's some moments that he would like to, you know, sharpen things on and whatever, but, his overall play has just been so so good, and his both his um, his contributions going forward and his uh, defending uh, highlighted by his ability to recover uh, and his growth as a one-on-one defender 
um, I think were again on display in this in this match, and so uh, really happy for him. Really happy for FC Barnunchen for their 20th uh, cup win, for their 13th double, their 50th domestic uh, major trophy. I guess you could say um, they have 30 league titles and 20 cups. So yeah, it's uh, exciting time for the for the players, for the the, the club, uh, and they are now gonna. Spend a month getting ready to make try and make it a treble as they go for the as they go for the Champions League. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a good debut, like full season for Alfonso Davies. He's, he's yeah. like obviously the trophies are good, but individually as well, uh, it's just like superb. And I, I don't know who knows. Like obviously the stop and start of the season probably affected it a little bit, but can you imagine if he just gone all the way through? Uh, what we would what we would have yeah. seen. I think it would even be better. Well, yeah, I mean, his, the story of his season is, is, you know, something we talk about uh, a lot in different ways, right? Like, he got his chance in the team because of an injury, or because of multiple injuries that forced, injuries. forced Byron to make some changes, to move Alaba from left back to center back. And, and then uh, to, they played uh, Alfonso at left back. And so, uh, you know, we always talk, Michael, about how players, when they get their opportunities, they really need to grab it with both hands and take it. And Alfonso... Mm-hmm. Davies did that, but I also agree with you, Steve. That I think the the he was on such a roll uh, yep. when the pandemic broke. Like that that game against away to Chelsea, I think really uh, helped people on that little island uh, that you're from, Michael, see who he is and see his qualities. Oh yeah, um, folk back home has been like talking about him, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh. I, I know him. Yeah, yeah, like I'm 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 sort of mates with him. Yeah, he does a bumper uh, for our show. Yeah. Um, he, uh, but yeah, that game really helped put him more on the map on that Island and, uh, which helps in the footballing world. And so, yeah, he, I think it would have been better for him if things kept going, but he showed that even with the break, he was still mm. able to contribute. And now I just, yeah, just hoping that he'll be able to do that in the, in the, the rest of the Champions League. Well, it was after that, it was after that game when all the stories about, uh, Alfonso Davies, uh, uh, going to Manchester United didn't go through or something like that. That's when that all happened. Which yeah. thank God it didn't go through. Because oh, I, I would have hated. I would have hated if he went there. That would have been the worst place for him to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially with the coach who it was at that time. But it, Bayern Munich is a perfect spot for him, and I think he's he's gonna. Hopefully, he's there for quite a few years. Uh, I don't know. He might. I think the only way he moves on is if. He's tired of playing left back and he wants to play up front and he goes to a different team at that point. So I, yeah. I, that's the only reason I see him moving on. There's a lot of interesting things. I mean, another thing from his season is not not only his quality of play, but Bayern saying, yeah, we want to make your deal for five years and we you need a pay raise because we're not paying you enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, con- contrast that with his, his previous employers, right? But he... Uh, yeah, well, there's one key thing, and I think we talked about on other shows or whatever. But one one key thing right now for Bayern Munich is just their squad, their squad formation. One thing that does have a potential to, I think, uh, impact Alfonso Davies is the the re-signing or renewing of his contract for David Alaba. David Alaba has one year left on his deal. There's lots of talk that lots of people would like him uh, for obvious reasons, uh, and so uh, I think it's key for Bayern Munich to keep him because. The other key person that they haven't re-signed yet, they've re-signed Neuer, Muller, Alfonso, uh, I think one or two other guys who are near the end of their deals. But the one guy who it doesn't look like is going to be signing is Thiago, or Thiago Alcantara, who has expressed, uh, Colorado Heinz Rummenigge has said, yeah, Thiago has told us that he would like to leave. 
and Bayern is not likely to stand in the way of that. They're more likely to sell him this window so they can make something off of him and allow him to do what he wants to do, which is uh, maybe play somewhere else like for Pep again uh, in a different country this time in England. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that could that could play a role in Alfonso Davies because there also is uh, Luca Hernandez, who they Byron paid a lot of money for, who has been a bit of a, a glass slipper, getting injured very easily, and so uh, very injury prone so far this year. And he, he hasn't contributed. And, and Alfonso has taken, you know, jumped ahead of him because um, he's also an individual who they brought in who could play left back for them. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how things develop with the squad uh, this summer. Focusing number one with Alaba, and then uh, we'll see where the, where the rest of the the, the, the chips fall. Chips fall, yeah. The, the only other thing I want to mention in our travels around the world with Joe is first club that we've seen in England that's now gone into administration. May or may not be because of the coronavirus. There's just some unsubstantiated rumours that there's some... Interesting dealings with their their ownership involving it would be more beneficial for them to have the team relegated. So they're facing a 12 points deduction, which could see them relegated. But sad times if there's any Wigan fans listening, our hearts go out to you. But you kind of feel this could be the tip of the iceberg for teams in the UK, but maybe throughout Europe as well, that could be in serious financial trouble the longer that this goes on without fans being able to get into games. Jason, one to Jason DeVos's old side, and my buddy Samuel Liu, that's, I think, his side in that, in that country. East Fife played a couple of friendlies against them back in the day as well, so always kind of looked out for their results. But that is it for tonight's episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Hope you've enjoyed it. I know it's been a lot of COVID cup chat, but just before we go, guys, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, if you want to contact me, it's at WhitecapsBeat on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter for me, it's at Zachary AM. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and on YouTube at AFTN Canada. Also as well, if you have any interest in Scottish football or you just want to kill a couple more hours of football chat during the week, check out my new East Fife podcast, Glory Days of Gold. The current episode, episode 5 of which, will have some interest for, for Canadian fans. It's an East Fife player that now lives out in Ontario. And part of it, he's talking about his experiences playing in the CSL when all the match-fixing allegations were going on. So some interesting stuff there. And you'll also hear some wild wild tales from the locker room, really, about what life is like as a lower league footballer. It includes things like shitting in kettles, calling the manager drunk, or your teammates calling the manager pretending it's you when you're drunk, or being passed out in a room and your teammate answers the phone from your girlfriend pretending to be a girl. Lots of fun stories like that, so check that out, glorydaysofgold.podbean.com or you can check out my East Fife website at aftn.co.uk. But we will be back next week with another show. I'm sure there's going to be a busy week of MLS stuff to talk about. But until then, thanks for listening, take care, and mon the caps! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. 
Yeah.